0: You're listening to the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
1: What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There is only one more. There is only one. There
2: is, that's it. One more. Get it around. No. They saw your team. Put up zero effort. Wake up. Remember in the old days, they used to have oxygen for Where's the oxygen? They play like
0: absolute just garbage. <laughs> this. This. this is the sports loudmouth. Yeah! Yes. Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here with Errol Marks and Speedy Beatty.
2: You're not even a has been. You're a never was.
3: Here never was. April 12th. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to A New Show of the Sports Lameout. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speeder. It's Speedy Petey time. Remember you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week including The Sports lab mounts, which airs every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. This week we had our Thursday show on Tuesday because I'm flying to Florida, taking care of some uh, family issues. But happy to be here tonight. We have a great, great show lined up for you guys. But remember, you can call our show at 631-672-3108. I didn't mention that. Speedy, what's up, man? Well,
4: I know you're not happy about going to Florida because
3: it's uh, summertime weather over there. It was 83 (laughs)
4: degrees out here. I, I mean, I can't. Take this weather. Yep, summer's starting early. I know you're not liking that, but uh I will appreciate
3: it. It is Sweating gods time out there. It is sweating time for Mr. Marks. I do not like this weather. I, I know. really don't. Well, now you get to go to
4: probably a hundred degree weather. Who knows? I'm
3: not enjoying that. It will be three days and I will be back here, but uh yeah, I'll be flying tomorrow, taking care of business, and then I will be back on Monday. So, uh, and we'll have a great show lined up, great shows lined up for next week, and we will be doing the weekend crunch, which will air on one oh three point nine FM on Saturday. Will the Islanders make the playoffs, though? That is the question. Tonight we will find out. The night is young. But hopefully we can celebrate as the New York Rangers make the playoffs, the New Jersey Devils make the playoffs, and the New York Islanders will make the playoffs, or hopefully make the playoffs. At 7.30, we'll be talking to FDU men's basketball forward Sean Moore and guard Braden Reynolds. Both of them will be joining us at the same time. So it'll be really, really fun to talk about their college careers at FDU, where they plan to be in the future. And uh, next year, does FDU with a new coach make a run again? We will get into that in a little while, actually. At 9 o'clock, we'll be talking to NHL.com editor and host of NHL Draft Class podcast, Adam Kimmelman. So he will be joining us. Uh, Adam's been on the show before, right? Yes, a
4: year and and a half ago. A while ago. I remember Adam. Mm -hmm.
3: Very, very nice guy. Knows his stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you're a hockey fan and you want to talk about Connor Bedard, well, he's the guy to talk to. Looking forward to getting him on the show. Adam Scheffner reports that Saquon Barkley will not report to the Giants' mandatory offseason program. I'm not surprised. Did I not say that, Speedy? Mm -hmm. Did I not tell all you Giant fans that this was going to happen? I am telling you guys, he is not a happy camper. Reports say that the Texans are not guaranteed to take a quarterback at number two overall. Uh Uh-oh. What does that tell you? It means one of these quarterbacks, maybe C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, could go to the Indianapolis Colts. Not our friend Richardson and Will Evis, who a lot of people like. I, I love him. I think he's another Josh Allen prototype quarterback, but uh, we'll get into that. Jeff Bezos says he will not make a bid for the Commanders. Not surprised, but who knows? He might just be lying and swoop right in and try to steal them. Max Scherzer says that he admits to the struggles of the pitch clock. Uh, A lot of pitchers are saying that. It's not just him. Many different pitchers throughout the league are complaining about that pitch clock. Well, guess what? You get paid a lot of money, figure it out. Uh, Islanders will clinch a playoff spot with at least one point tonight versus the Canadiens. Panthers clinch a playoff spot because the Penguins lost yesterday against the Blackhawks. Our new, yes, our new segment, ladies and gentlemen, we're looking forward to it. Let's parlay as we will have Wes on, one of the best handicappers in the country. This guy is as good as anybody, and he will give you his best parlays for the weekend. And if you guys are betting people and you like to make some money... Listen to Wes. He knows what he's talking about. We have Bracket Wars tonight, the matchups the number seven seed, the Steelers of the 2000s versus the number 10 seed, the Astros of the 2010s, the last 10 years of Astros baseball, and the number six seed, Giants of the 2010s, and uh, the number 11 seed, the Washington football team from the late 80s and 90s. So we will get into that. A little bit later in the show. So Bracket Wars will continue. It is a great segment. If you like to go back and argue points about some of the greatest teams in sports history. Well if you haven't heard it yet. We will continue moving forward all the way to the end, to the round robins of the quarterfinals and the semis and then the finals. So stay tuned. We have a tremendous amount of teams left. 24 teams. We've gone through eight teams. So we have a lot more to go. And we'll figure out who moves on from yesterday's show by the end of the weekend. So stay tuned. Vote on Twitter. Vote on Facebook. We should post it up on our Instagram too, Speedy. So everybody should vote and give us uh, their thoughts, even though if me and Speedy agree to it, they automatically move forward. But I'd like to see what everybody thinks about their arguments to all the teams that are matched up against one another. We had the Lakers yesterday from the 80s, so uh, there's a lot. And, and if you're a baseball fan, the Cardinals and the, the Penguins, it's, it's great. It's a great segment. And it's definitely a like lunchroom. If you ever if you ever remember sitting at a lunchroom and arguing points about teams when you were a kid, this is the time where you can really debate some of the greatest teams in sports history. And the one that Errol didn't mention, Wes is a Golden State Warriors. I don't mention them, ever, <laughs> even though we both picked them to move on. I know, it was tough for you. <laughs> yeah, but I can't lie, you know. You, you can't lie behind the truth. Anyways, uh, let's get into it. Adam Scheffner reports that Saquon Barkley will not report to the Giants' mandatory offseason program. I've been saying this ever since they franchised
1: him for $10 million. Saquon Barkley last year was a top three running back in the league. He did everything the Giants needed him to do to be one of the
3: best running backs in the league and really be all of the Giants' offense. Daniel Jones was a great.
1: Weapon. He ran 700 yards last year, but you expect a quarterback to throw the ball. And Daniel Jones didn't really have any weapons last year. They added Darren Waller this offseason. Maybe they add another weapon in the draft, another wide receiver. They cannot depend on Darius Slayton this offseason because he's
3: gone. Sterling Shepard. I think they renegotiated his deal this offseason. He's coming back from an ACL injury. We don't know where he's at or how good he's going to be. Robinson, who they drafted in the second round last year, who knows? I mean, he's like five foot six. The guy couldn't stay on the field. He looked really good in the preseason.
1: He didn't look really good uh, when the season started because he didn't play. Saquon, Saquon will be ineligible to participate in. On April 17th, when
3: it begins, Saquon's franchise tag is worth $10.1 million. July 15th is the deadline for the Giants to sign Saquon to a long-term deal. Joe Shane said that he would like to sign Saquon to a long-term deal, but took their offer of $12 million off the table because Saquon wanted more. Do I think Saquon Barkley deserves $14 million? I don't think any running
1: back. Because they're so expendable. And running backs you can find in the fifth, sixth, and fourth rounds. But when you drafted, when the Giants drafted Saquon Barkley in the top three five years ago, And expected this kid to be the face of their franchise offensively. It took him a while, but he became it. Saquon is 26 years old. He will be 27 when the season begins. Saquon still has another three, four years left of top
3: football left in his legs. This guy has been a
1: dominant force offensively offensively, for the New York Giants. You sit back and you argue why the Giants decided to pay Daniel Jones over Saquon Barkley. And some people say,
3: well, the quarterback position is more important than the running back position. And because the contract worked out for the Giants for the next two years, that if... If Daniel Jones doesn't work out in the next two years, they
1: can opt out of the contract, and it doesn't affect their cap. But here's the reason why I believe
3: Saquon Barkley and Dexter Lawrence should have been the two players to get
1: the extension of contracts going going into the offseason. And the reason why is As
3: good as Daniel Jones was last year, and he was great. He was one of only
1: three quarterbacks in the league that threw over 3,000 yards and 700 yards run. And two other quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen, were top of the league in almost every quarterback statistic. Why? Why? I don't believe Daniel Jones is ready to get paid that kind of money is because I
3: believe a quarterback needs to show it back-to-back years, the dominance on the field and his health. Because Daniel Jones, since he's come into the league, has not been 100% healthy any year.
1: Last year was the first year I can honestly say that Daniel Jones was practically healthy the whole season. Saquon Barkley, the same thing. The guy can't stay healthy. But when he's on the field, there's no question he is the best offensive weapon the Giants have had since Odell Beckham. And what he does to defenses throughout the league is is question how they can stop this kid. Do you think defense is afraid of Daniel Jones? Yes, they know he's a dual threat. Yes, they know he can run. He's a lot faster than he looks. Mm -hmm. But Daniel Jones could be stopped. Ask the Philadelphia Eagles. More specifically, the Philadelphia Eagles turf monster. Ask the Eagles. Ask what the Eagles did in the second round of the playoffs and how they stopped Daniel Jones.
3: They put put pressure up the middle and made Daniel Jones throw the ball. And Daniel Jones' strength is not throwing the ball. It's moving out of the pocket, using his legs,
1: and making the throws on the run. That is where he is most effective. Saquon Barkley could do everything.
3: He's a power back. He could catch the ball. You could move him at wide receiver. You could
1: shift him with screen passes. He blocks. He does everything. And he's still fairly young. So why didn't the Giants
3: extend him? Why didn't they give him a three-year deal? Give him $13 million a year.
1: Meet him halfway. If they were offering him 12 and he wanted 14, give him 13. Now you're sitting, going into this offseason, not knowing if Saquon Barkley is
3: actually going to play if he doesn't get that extension. And there are, tremendous, there are a tremendous amount of teams. There are a ton of teams right now that need a power back, a great back. One of those teams
1: is Joe Shane's former team, the Buffalo Bills. And I've been saying this for a while. Buffalo is a great fit for Saquon Barkley. I don't know if Buffalo could afford him, but if they had a weapon like that to that roster, they're automatically a contender. Now everybody
3: says right now Buffalo is a contender. But when you see The Jets do what they did this offseason, especially if Aaron Rodgers heads over there. And and Jalen Ramsey and the Miami Dolphins with that talent, if Tua stays healthy, how good they're going to be. The Patriots, I don't know where they're at. We're still figuring out
1: if macaroni and cheese is going to be their quarterback going into this season. Who knows? But the AFC is a powerhouse. The NFC, it's open. And you want to make sure that
3: your star players are taken care of. And if I was Saquon Barkley,
1: I would sit and wait. Because I would be upset knowing that they were feeding me the ball all season long. And no matter how
3: many teams knew he was touching the ball, he was still dominant every
4: single game. But You bring up a good point about when teams knew he got figured out in certain games, and that's when the Giants really struggled the most in this season. The month of November, it was that stretch with the Seahawks and the Lions, and like you said, the first meeting with the Eagles, where the Eagles just absolutely torched the Giants in the regular season too, and that stretch was the hardest one for Saquon. He played well against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, but again, besides that, the four out of the five games, he got shut down because of those loaded boxes. Daniel Jones ran well, but when Daniel Jones can't have the same volume of passing yards, it's very hard. So, if the Giants are going to move on from Saquon and not be able to pay him they better get some other types of skill players to get it to work. Darren Waller's a start but it's not everything because Darren Waller again has had injury issues in the past he is older, 30 years old. It's a start but it's one weapon. They have to hope that either somebody on the homegrown roster is going to be good right away or they're going to have to make another move with that money, with those draft picks that are coming in if they hypothetically decide to trade Saquon.
3: Let's say Saquon Barkley isn't in this lineup going into the season Is Daniel Jones as effective as he was last year? The answer is no. And I see Jeff and Snug posting up, you can find a running back. You're not going to find a dominant force, a dominant running back right now
1: that is going to run 90% of your offense going into this season. You want to make sure your running back is happy when you know he is going to be at least
3: 75% of your offense this year. So you can say whatever you want, Jeff, and all you Giant fans, you sit here and think, hey, we got our quarterback. And let's say Daniel Jones does not have Saquon Barkley, and he decides to sit out for the first couple of games of the season until the Giants figure out if they can negotiate a deal with him. What are you going to do? And stop saying that you could find a running back. You're not going to find a running back that is as good as Saquon Barkley. You could go into the draft right now. There's no guarantees. And are you going to draft a running back in the first round when you have so many more needs? You have a tremendous amount of
1: needs offensively. Your offensive line stinks. Let's be honest. Your defense is not good. Your secondary is horrible.
3: So, Jeff, you can say whatever you want. Saquon Barkley, you have. He is a part of this roster. You don't have to go looking for a running back just because they're easy to find. And by the way, a lot of these young running
1: backs, when they come into the league in the beginning, still have to figure things out. It sometimes takes them a while to figure out how fast the game is. And you can say whatever you want. Oh, he's replaceable. Do we remember when he was hurt? The last couple of years, how was the Giants' running game when he wasn't in the lineup? Did the
3: Giants have a back that ran almost thirteen hundred yards? No, they had a month of Wayne Gallman. That was really it. <laughs> did they have a running back that ran for I don't know eight or nine touchdowns? No, they did not. And they're not easy to find, and they don't. They do not grow on trees. Yes. When you talk about the positions and and all the positions that you need to fill and you need to pay for, the big positions, the offensive line, the tackle position, the cornerback position, the quarterback position, the important positions moving forward to build on your roster. Yes, the running back position isn't the major position that you want to pay. But when the Giants' best player is their running back... And they could have traded him this offseason. They could have. They didn't. They franchised him. Why? Because they need him on this roster. And also, you look at the
4: potential for... The spread offense that Brian Dable's trying to have, too, where the Giants just need the other depth to make it work. And I don't even care as much about the volume with Saquon Barkley as much as it is getting guys to get attention off of Daniel Jones and get attention off of Darren Waller, which right now they don't have. And it's going to be tough with the Giants' current state to have that kind of process work because they have a late first round pick. Saquon Barkley, if they were to trade him, maybe you get a third round pick, maybe a second. I don't know. But again, no, a, I would a probably, third round probably a third, yeah. most likely. So so you're trying to th- throw a dart at that point to get these other wide receivers and get or get the combined production with a wide receiver and a running back that can make the offense effective. And again, maybe it happens, but you can't trust it necessarily as a guaranteed thing and trust it with a bunch of third and fourth round picks. And like you said, the Giants... Maybe they could do draft a wide receiver in the first round, but that's one player. Again, if he's a star right away, that helps a lot. Maybe that keeps Saquon Barkley there. Maybe they do sign him after that, but I don't know. They have until July 15th to decide that.
3: Go look at the Giants' record without Saquon Barkley in their lineup. Go look at it. You can argue all you want. I, I look at what Snug and what Jeff is saying. Oh, you can find a competent running back that can do everything that Saquon could do. If Saquon was so easy to find to fill in that position, why haven't they done it this offseason? There were a couple of running backs, good running backs that were available this offseason. Why haven't they found that guy? Why haven't we heard if the Giants were interested in drafting a running back in this year's draft? Because if you actually follow the Giants, that is not a position they're looking to find in the draft. There are a tremendous amount of positions they need to fill going into this year's draft. Why do they need to go and look for a running back and and lose a draft pick when they have a competent, one of the elite
1: running backs in the NFL right now? And right now, he runs, going into this season, he ran about between 80 to 90% of their offense. If you're not a Giant fan, I'll... I can ask a bunch of football fans right now. Could most football fans name the Giants three
3: top uh, wide receivers on their team last year? And I will tell you this. I would say nine out of ten or eight out of ten of them
1: probably couldn't. Because they don't have an elite wide receiver. They don't have an elite tight end. Their offense is putrid. I'm just speaking the truth. And I'm not going to sit here and listen to people say, well, you can find a running back in the draft. You
3: can find a running back in free agency. They're so easy to find. Saquon Barkley is an elite running back. They are not easy to find. And when he dominates and when he's on the field and he runs the way he runs and dominates the clock and dominates... The time of possession on the field, nobody is complaining. And everybody keeps complimenting Daniel Jones. Ooh, it's Daniel Jones. Look at the season Daniel Jones had. Daniel Jones wouldn't have had the season that he had if it
4: wasn't for Saquon Barkley. Especially running, So 700 yards rushing, you don't see from a quarterback all the time, either. So you definitely need somebody to clog the middle for Saquon or Daniel Jones to run outside the way he did.
3: You know what's so funny? Jeff says they're easy to find. Why? Because the Patriots find him? Is that what it is? Because the Patriots, every single year, draft a running back, and they can get rid of a running back after three years of using him? Not every single team is the Patriots. Not every single team has a Hall of Fame coach like Bill Belichick. And it's so funny because Jeff thinks he knows everything. The next thing you know it, Jeff will pretend that he's a coach. He could be a soccer coach somewhere in the country. Because he bets on soccer.
4: Yeah, I was going to say, Jeff's random soccer bets, he's finally going to come through on uh, it's ridiculous. coaching a team in, uh, I don't know, Croatia. Or it like is that.
3: absolutely ridiculous. I cannot sit here and argue my point to somebody that thinks he knows everything. I, I, I respect Jeff when it comes to college football. He knows his college sports. There's no argument on that. But when he's saying that Saquon Barkley, you can find somebody to fill in for Saquon Barkley, don't pay Saquon Barkley when he is practically 75, 80% of their offense. To me, it's
1: ridiculous. You're going to, you're going to give Daniel Jones 40 million a year to a guy that had one good season, which by the way,
3: last season they were talking about not re signing him. They didn't even give him his fifth year option.
1: He had one good season because Dable is the quarterback whisperer. He showed him how to play the quarterback position as well as he helped Josh Allen change his throwing motion. Now,
3: all of a sudden, everybody thinks, hey, he's going to be a star in this league. I am one of those guys that
1: respects Daniel Jones and always thought that Daniel Jones was going to be a good quarterback, including you, Jeff. But there are a lot of people that still don't believe in Daniel Jones. A lot of people. And you can post up Eckler and all these other guys. Great.
3: Great. You can find those guys in the draft. You don't know if those guys are going to be good. You already know that Saquon Barkley is good. You pay him, what, $3 million more? How about this? Give him a two-year extension. Give him his $13, $13 $13.5 million for two years. At least you know you have a competent offensive weapon. Who is your
1: confidence offensive weapon right now? Darren Waller, who cannot stay on the field more than six games a season? Come on, guys. It's ridiculous. Anyways, when we come back, we will be talking to FDU's
3: men's basketball forward, Sean Moore, and guard, Braden Reynolds. Here. On the Sports Loudmouths.
0: It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the
3: Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy pd 631 Six seven two thirty one zero eight is the number to call. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. Yes, and yes, they're not podcasts. They're actually live shows. You can interact with all our hosts and our co-hosts. You can check out all the listings of the shows by going to the menu and read all our stories throughout the week. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we spoke to their coach last night. Our former coach, fantastic, uh, fantastic guy, Mr. Anderson. And now we have two of his own players. We are now talking to FDU Dickinson, men's basketball forward, Sean Moore, and guard, Braden Reynolds. What's up, boys?
5: Hey, what's up? How you doing? What's
3: going on? You guys should be excited. I mean, everybody is talking about FDU. You had a fanta- fantastic tournament run. You beat Purdue. It was one of the biggest surprises in NCAA history. Before we get into that, how are you boys feeling after making that run in the tournament? Uh,
5: we actually feel great. You know, we did we did what we did, but we wanted to go farther in the tournament because we feel like we could. But, you know, we actually feel good. It's still good to be in the tournament, so we just hungry to come back next year.
3: First of all, you guys should have all smiles. Nobody would have expected you to knock off Purdue. Purdue was a number one seed. A lot of people, including yours, truly had him in the final four, possibly a go to the championship game. And you guys surprised the world as one of only two teams in history. To knock off a number one seed in the first round. So that is special. And you'll always be remembered for that. But let's get into... Your season, Uh, obviously, Mr. Moore, you had a great season, a a guy that a lot of people saw the growth as the season progressively moved forward. And uh, obviously, Brady, you had a very good season, too. Uh, As the season progressively moved, you guys got more time on the court and you showed everybody and you showed the country what you guys could do offensively and defensively. So tell us a little bit about your run this season.
6: Um, so me personally, uh I started off the year. I wasn't playing that much, but the guys started off the year great. I mean, we we went to Loyola Chicago. That was my first ever college game since I'm a freshman. And uh it was it was great to play them first. Uh we had a tough, tough game with them too. We had a nail biter and they hit a they hit a big shot to send into overtime. We lost that game. But after that game, I mean I realized how good we were and how good we could be. And uh it kind of set the year up for success and we got to go to the big dance and we got fortunate that we were able to be there. And uh, we got to play in the first four, which was really cool. And not, not a lot of teams get to experience that, so I was thankful that we were able to experience that and get a win too, get some get some steam rolling ahead of the Purdue game. And then, uh, and then, I'm sure everybody saw the video of coach telling us how we're gonna, we were, gonna, he like believed in us beating Purdue. And um, once he said that, we believed it more, and it it helped. So
5: yeah, kind of what Brandon said, Starting off with the uh, Loyola Chicago game, nobody loss, but it showed the world that like. FDU basketball is like we're back, you know, that like we could compete with the best teams in the country. Uh we had ups and downs in the season, mid season. So we know we have to pick it up going into March, you know, you can't you can't mess up in March, you know, because mm-hmm. we want to go home. So when losing that Merrimack championship game, we went in the tournament with a chip on our shoulder showing that we belong here, you know, we need to come out with the uh the championship.
4: So we mentioned we had your coach on yesterday, Tobin Anderson. Uh what has it been like playing for him and also what is his personality to like off the court as well?
5: Oh no, he's a great guy. You know, that's my guy. He's a very great guy. Sarcastic, funny. You know, he's a very great guy. I like playing for him a lot because he he believes in all his players. You know, like our offense is it's all about freedom. Play to your strengths, do what you do, and he he's big on don't mess up on defense. That's his main thing. He loves defense, the press. That's his thing. So it's fun playing for a coach like him that gives you a lot of freedom. He's just he's a very good guy on off the court. I think for me
6: personally, uh,
5: since I only got to spend one year with him,
6: uh, but it, I mean, like, I couldn't ask for a better year, a better freshman year, you know, because uh, it's going to be hard to top the year we just had for my next uh, three years here, and uh, I couldn't ask for a better guy to coach me. And I'm just glad he gave me an opportunity to come here and be able to play on the team and just have that opportunity. Like Fudd said, like, he's a great guy. We got lucky even though he left. We got Coach Castleberry, um, great coach, similar personalities. Um, So looking forward to this year as well.
3: As everybody knows, we are talking FDU men's basketball forward Sean Moore and guard Braden Reynolds. Guys, when you look at the season, and obviously when you're coming from a division that you came from, and now you're looking, going into this tournament when you see Alabama and Purdue and Houston and Miami, all these favorites, all these teams that everybody expected to go as far as they did, except Purdue because of you guys. What were your thoughts going into this tournament? Did you guys think that you can compete against the best in this tournament?
5: um most definitely you know we all we're all basketball players at the end of the day you feel me it's just like you gotta go in there with no fear even though we like we're ranked as the smallest team in the country we, ain't, we don't use that like we'll put our heads down use that as an excuse like we said we was supposed to be in a tournament so we go in there like we don't got nothing to lose so we go in there with like nothing to lose fearless our play style fast you know play on play don't don't worry about mistakes you know it's just like go out there and play to your best ability leave it on the floor to add to what Sean just
6: said, I mean, a lot of us, like, fuzzies, I mean, Sean just came from Stack from a D2 school. I'm a walk-on, so, I mean, like, a lot of the guys from our team kind of all have the same mentality of, like, we got nothing to lose, so we just, like, play as hard as we possibly can, and we feel like we got to prove something to the world. And uh, when you get opportunities put on the big stage, I mean, sometimes you only get one chance at it. So we wanted to make sure that we, we were um, – everything was going good. We were hitting on all cylinders, and we got fortunate enough that we got to pull out the big upset.
4: So what was that point in the game for both of you that obviously you're going to go into the game with confidence, but what was the point in that game where the emotions say they're like, okay, maybe we can actually do this thing. At like, w- what point was that in the second half, the first half?
5: When was it for you guys? Uh, honestly, from the jump, we started out with a, a 5 over, a five zero run. on uh, Starting off of offense, we had like five, to or two, I think, starting off. And we just realized, like, keep playing is this, this tempo throughout the whole game because a lot of like a lot of teams in the Big Ten are aren't used to playing our our tempo, our speed. So it tends to wear down on them throughout the game. So we like as we as we notice throughout the game where our press, we see like it tends to wear them down a little bit. So we just keep keep our foot on the gas and just don't let up. For me personally, uh it was in the second half, uh I think
6: it was like five minutes ago. It was like right before I got subbed out for the rest of the game. But uh somebody got a back tip at steal and I pushed out and pushed the length of the floor, and I think I got fouled, but I had a dump off to Sean, and he like finished it, but obviously it didn't count. But once we got that steal, and we were up, I think we were up three, and I knew we had the ball. Um, the confidence obviously was like extremely high, and I was, and I like started thinking to myself, like, wow, like we we really can do this, like, it's gonna happen, you know. So it was a great feeling.
3: Now we were speaking to your coach yesterday, and Coach Anderson was telling us. I, I asked him. I said, who had the most personality in that locker room throughout this season. And he didn't want to give me any names, but uh, you guys are in the locker room. You have a bunch of guys, a, a lot of different personalities. Who stood out to you as the funny guy? Who was the guy that kind of gave you guys the the confidence to go out on the court and just have fun?
5: Uh, I'll, I'll say I'm one of them. But we get, everybody got great personality on our team. So I feel like we all real as one, but I'll say I'm the main guy, but everybody else got their you know, everybody got their <laughs> moments. But well, nah, I play on like the main guy. No,
6: nah, he's definitely the, the the guy. He's the funny guy in the in the locker room. But I mean, he's he's not wrong. Like we have a great group of guys. We all like in the locker room. Like we know, like when it's time to be funny, time to be joking, and then we also like know when it's time to get serious and when it's time to get down to business. Um. So I mean, but it's if if we had to pick one dude, it's it's, it's this dude.
4: So the March Madness atmosphere when you guys first got there, like off the core, the the build up to it, like the surrounding things, all the fans stuff like that. What was that like? Just experiencing that for the first time. Obviously, going from a school like Fairleigh Dickinson.
5: Uh, it, it felt great because you know, you know, we got a we got a nice community here in New Jersey. Everybody comes to our game. We appreciate our fans, but it's different going to March Madness because you got everybody from the country, different teams around the country coming all playing one spot, and got a whole bunch of fans is all coming in, and the love that you get. Afterwards, or just walking around, just like, yo, can I get a picture? Can I get autographed? <laughs> it, it feels great. So it is like, I reel it all in, you know? I always just stay humble about it, though, but I, I really, I love it. It feels good. Uh, for me, uh, it was a great experience because since it was in Columbus, uh,
6: not only was it, it was cool for him, I know definitely because he's a hometown guy. So it was cool for him to be back home and playing, or playing in March Madness there. But uh, Columbus isn't far from me. I'm from Pittsburgh. So I had a lot of family come out and be able to come to the games. And then uh, just it's a big stage. It's the biggest stage in the world. I, me and him dreamed about being there since we were little kids, man. So, I mean, like, dream come true type of thing. So just tried to soak it, as, soak it in, all in as much as I possibly could.
3: I played a lot of team sports as a kid, and I was a big hockey player, and it was all about family. And that's what you build. That's what you bring in. When your coach brings you in and he recruits you, the one thing he says, I want to build a family. I want you guys to be together like brothers. So, what drove you guys when you were brought to this team? What did Tobin Anderson tell you when he was recruiting you that drove you to want to go and play for FDU?
6: Uh so I mean, for me first, uh honestly, he just gave me an opportunity. I was in a very bad uh predicament with all the COVID stuff and the transfer portal. So I, I almost like I almost stayed home and just walked on somewhere at home, but Coach had recruited me since I was a junior in high school to actually stack, which is D2 school. But uh, once he got the job at FDU, he told me that he didn't have any scholarships, but uh, he gave me the opportunity. He told me, like, listen, like, it's going to be hard and it's not going to be easy. The opportunity is here for you to be able to play, and that's all I needed to hear coming from him. And I knew he'd give me that chance, and I was fortunate enough to take advantage of it, and um, everything turned out pretty good.
5: Well, my and starting out with like, my senior high school, he was, like, the only coach that gave me a full-ride scholarship because he believed in my ability. I could do. He never came to a game in person, but he always makes sure he called me every morning throughout the summer, called my mom. Constantly calls my mom. Anything he felt I was going bad, he could get out of me, go to my mom and talk to her about it. So he, he's very good on communication. So I feel like he he's just a great guy after court. I wasn't able to go home last summer, so he threw a little birthday party for me at his house. So he's a, he's a great guy. So I knew coming here to FDU, I knew what he was about, I knew what he wanted to do. So I was like, it was nothing. It was really no no buying into. It. I already knew what he was about, and I was just like, you just continue to win the culture that you had in in the past and just bring it into the future.
4: So when did you guys both start uh, growing up? When you got, when did you guys start playing basketball? What age? And were there any other sports you guys played also even
5: before basketball? Um, I started playing basketball. Probably I'd say like around four. But in my early years, I, I did the dab a lot of things. I did karate, soccer. Mm-hmm. Football Football is actually my first love. Mm. I made that decision in high school, going into my sophomore year, that I decided I wanted to play basketball. So, yeah. Uh, Me,
6: I played football ever since I was little. So, like, football has always been, like, a sport of mine. Like, I love watching football to this day. Um, But I actually, the the way I started playing basketball was I had a football practice and I saw basketball tryouts and I was just, like, I thought, like, after football practice, I might as well just go try it out and see if I like it. And uh, I was, I'm able to still be playing to this day. And uh, I think I started whenever I was like eight years old, started playing basketball. So, but it's been
3: good. We are talking to FDU's men basketball forward, Sean Moore and guard Braden Reynolds. We were talking to Tobin and yesterday he told us after the season was over, when did your team find out when you were going to take that job? How did he pretty much tell you guys that he was going to another school?
5: Um, He told us, he kind of gave it away. On the day before, but you know, Twitter, you can't hide none from Twitter. So we kinda of found out through Twitter, seeing that the po- it was possible uh pers- possibilities that he was going to Iona. We didn't know if it was true or not. But we got the we got the we got the text the day before. So we came in the next day into the locker room telling that he got the job and everything. So at the end of the day, you can't I'm not mad at him or anything. You gotta do what's best for you, do what's best for your family. I'm proud of him. He deserve it. Most definitely deserves it. So I just I wish the best for him over there.
3: You know, it's so interesting when obviously the coach is so very important to a lot of teams, not just college sports, professional sports, football. Everybody says, I ask I ask a lot of coaches, what, when, when you decided to coach basketball or coach hockey or, or decided to coach football, what made you become a coach? And and they, they gave us some, so many paths on why they wanted to help kids or help men grow as adults or as young men. When you look at Tobin, what was his strength
5: as a coach? His strength as a coach is he he tends, he has to, he goes to like knowing who you are first as a person. So he knows how to come at you at certain things or in the court, how to coach you, how to talk to you at certain things. So he's like, he's a very understanding guy. So he knows like he, he could he go for you and he picks in what he has to say, but he's very understanding. And it's just like, he, like I said, his, 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 hes Fun guy to play with. He, like, his play style is just very fun. You just go crazy. Do what you do. Just go <laughs> crazy. Play hard. As of did, just leave it all on the floor. So, he's a very good, very fun guy to play with. Yeah. Uh, to add to what Sean said, I mean, he's a big character guy.
6: I mean, not one guy in our locker room this past year is a bad, like, a bad guy. Like, we all do the right thing in the classroom, do the right thing on the court, off the court. Um, treat people with respect. Like, we just have a great bunch of guys. And it's all credit to him that he was able to bring us all in in the short time that he had and make make the team because we had lost a lot of guys from last year and he was still able to bring a bunch of guys in and, and we were able to do what we had to do. But I would say like the biggest thing with him is character and he takes time out of his day to like not even talk basketball a lot of the time. Like he could even talk about football with me. You think like coaches are robots sometimes. Like it's only basketball with them. I would say for me, that's the biggest thing.
4: So uh, obviously the the pregame speech that uh, your coach had, Tobin Anderson, <laughs> uh, was known around the world. Basically, he, he was even telling us y- yesterday it wasn't supposed to be this like nationally televised yeah. thing. But um, so, is that the most fired up you've ever seen him be?
5: Um, I can say I can say no, but yeah. At the same time, I'm gonna say at this stage, yeah, i would probably as the most. Say he's he's been fired up. He's excited. I agree.
3: We are talking to FDU men's basketball forward Sean Moore and guard Braden Reynolds. Okay, guys. So, uh, Sean, you hit a big three-point shot in the second half of the game against Purdue. What was it like hitting that shot? And then hearing all those thousands of fans jumping and going crazy in a game that was so unexpected. What was it like hitting a shot like that in a big
5: game like that? Oh. Uh... It felt great yeah, the game wasn't over with. So I know I had to, at the time I had to let all my emotions in, I mean, out, I'd let all my emotions out at the time. So I just had to live in the moment, but once we got back on the court, you know, continue, continue to do what we do. So we make sure we come out with a dub, but all credit to Tobin though. Cause um, I missed a couple, I missed a couple of them threes, that three exactly a couple of times. And I, and I have, but he told me, you no know way, keep shooting, keep shooting. You're going to make one. You're going to make one. And, the biggest, the biggest shot of the game, I, I made it. So it was credit to him and the fans as well it hyped me up. So what was the reaction like when you guys came back
4: on the campus? Were they welcoming you off the plane? Was it, were there a big celebration on campus somewhere? Was there celebrations with your classes, stuff like that?
6: Uh, they, had a, they had a celebration for us uh, in the Rothman when we got back and it was really nice. Uh, we had like the like, little uh, mayor of our town come and he gave us uh, like a certificate and we even had the governor give us uh, he wrote a letter to us saying like thank you basically for like all the all the joy you brought to the to the community um so it was it was cool and a lot of students showed out and a lot of people showed out from the community as well so it was it, it was very nice um, to have that
3: you know i i looking at going into this new season. What are your plans as players? Do you guys plan to play professional basketball? Sean, you're very athletic. You said you, you play football, too, and you, you you might be a multiple sports athlete. I don't know what other sports you play in FDU. What are your plans first after school? Do you plan to play professional sports?
5: Professional, that's my plan. That's what I'm sticking to it for right now to, in case otherwise, but my plan is to play professional for sure.
3: How about you, Braden? Uh, do you see yourself playing professional basketball in the future?
6: Uh, for sure. I mean, I didn't have like the biggest role last year, but I'm, I'm expecting to take that jump this year. Uh, losing our two main guards and being able to take that role and being able to play pro, so I'm looking forward to proving people wrong again this year.
3: So what
4: about off the court? What are your guys' favorite things to do off the court? And also, what are you studying at Fairleigh Dickinson? Here's
5: a good question. Do you guys have girlfriends? That's a good
0: question. That's also a good question.
4: That's a
5: good question. Well, me, I don't got no girlfriends. I don't know about him. (laughs) 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 What does that mean, Brayden? What
3: does that mean?
2: Singles. Singles. Singles.
3: Oh, you better hope there's nobody, no other woman looking or watching this right now. I don't know, man. He might be, uh, you know, sneaking, you know? He nah, might be sneaking.
5: Nah, I'm good. I'll sing. I'm single. All right. Man, he, All right. he plays too much. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I'm studying right now in uh, sports management. Okay. Um, I don't know what, what like, direction I'm going to go with mm-hmm. it, but I'm just staying stable with sports management right now. But off the court, um, off the court, I'm pretty much chill, hanging with family or friends, you know? I like to do, like, if I got free time, I like to do things like little, little kids with basketball or whatnot, dab around in the community or whatnot or do whatever. I just do a lot with my free time.
6: Uh, for me, since, uh, I'm only, I mean, since I'm only freshman, I'm kind of undecided, kind of just feeling stuff out for college. hobby Wise, I mean, very similar to him. I like to help around my community, uh, give back to the community, kind of spread love because uh, they showed out for me whenever I was in the tournament. They, they supported me throughout the whole thing. Um, so I I give them a little shout out right now. Um, but yeah, just try to stay with basketball back home and just try to help out as many people as I possibly can.
3: Now I asked Tobin, who is the dancer of the bunch? I did ask him yesterday. He couldn't give me an answer. And I don't know if you guys know how to do the Dougie, you know how to do the wobble, which one of you guys know how to break it down on the dance floor?
5: Uh I'll give it to him actually. Really? He got it. Okay. Yeah, he got it. Oh, really? Yeah. Could it's you show us it's another team of ours? Uh, Cam Tweedy. He the he the main dancer yeah. of the team. Really? He actually over here to the left of me.
3: Where is he? Uh, Where? Let's see him. Right, Let's Cam, see him. I'm know, in
5: there. You know, Cam, come on Cam, in, man. Cam, come on in.
3: How about the Dougie? You know how to do you know how to do the Dougie? Yeah, yeah. Oh, all right. Get the Dougie. Give me teach out how to Dougie. Okay, speedy. It's very easy. Yeah. Teach me how to Dougie, okay? Yeah. I'm actually a pretty good dancer, and I like to, you know, spread joy. I'm a DJ out here in Long yeah. Island, and I teach it all over the country. And I, I like to break it down, too, man. So I, I, like, I like people that know how to have a little bit of fun. And, and Tobin yeah. says you guys are a group that likes to have some fun. So yeah. I, I, I'd like to see what you guys could do, all right? So, Speedy, you have it? Yep, here we go. All right, here we go. Break it down
6: Way ho oh,
3: oh, oh, yeah. ho ho there we go yeah. come on Brady now you now it's your turn let's go come on Brady let's go Brady let's go, Brady. Let's, go, Brady. Let's, go. let's see it come on come on show people you you oh 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 how about you Sean what, what do we got here man come on Sean there ho ho Oh, (laughs) oh. Don't ask Speedy. He is – Speedy, you can shut off. I will say this. I, I, I will tell you, my producer over here, I have a birthday bash every single year. I have like 50, 60 people come out for my birthday. I pick a place and we all go out and have a party. And this kid, he has no fear. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a slow song. And this guy does these Rockette kicks. It is one of the funniest things you have ever seen. I'll send you guys. I'll send you guys a post throughout your uh, your Twitter feeds. And you can watch this guy uh, You know, throw his kicks. It is one of the funniest things. You have cool. ever seen. But to me, it's all about personality. When you go out and you play as a team, you guys have to work like a team. So when, you, when you're going out, even as a team, or you're going out to a club or you're going out to a bar. Or you're just hanging out with the fellas. You, you all want to enjoy each other. In, in that kind of way, so not being afraid of doing that kind of stuff not only into the public eye but in your own eye when you're, when you hang out with, another, with one another it's it's a great thing and I, I think that shows the team you know the team camaraderie so that's what I think. Tobin was, was telling us yesterday
4: also that you do some uh, some impressions of people well, what were your impression of Tobin? Oh, you want Tobin All right. so a
5: lot of people a lot of people know Tobin talks very fast and it's kinda of sometimes mm-hmm. hard to understand what he says, but let me give one for Braden, what would he say to Braden? He like he would say like, uh, come on Braden, I need
4: you to pick it up, man.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
3: come on, Braden, let's hear your impression of Tobin.
6: Uh something he'd say to Fuzz. Uh he'd be like, oh, come on Fuzz, you're not here today man. You're not here. You're not here. <laughs>
3: well, you guys are interesting fellows, and and if you guys ever want to come out to Long Island, uh, have you guys ever been to Long Island? By the way, i have not. You've never been to Long Island, and where are no. you guys from? Uh, Braden, you're from Ohio, right?
6: I'm from Pittsburgh. He's Pittsburgh. From
3: you're from Ohio. So, and how long have you have you? Ever been to the city? Have you been to New York City? Have you checked out the city?
6: Yeah, we've been able to go to the city. Just not—I've never been to Long Island yet. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll we'll eventually be there. I'll
3: tell you what, guys. Uh, this summer, if, if whenever you guys have a chance, um, I know. How old are you guys, by the way? Braden, how old are you?
6: I'm, well, right now we're both twenty, but in by July 20th, we'll both be twenty-one.
3: All right, that's good. So what I'm going to do for you guys is. This summer, you guys come out here to Long Island. There's a bunch of wineries. There's a lot of beautiful wineries out in, in the Hamptons. Have you guys obviously you haven't been to Long Island, so you've never been to the Hamptons. But you heard about it. Why don't you guys come out here on me, and I'll take you guys out for your birthday uh, to the wineries. And, and you guys get to experience the beauty of Long Island. I think you guys would really, really enjoy it. You could bring, your, you could bring some of your teammates, too. I think it would be great. You come and come out and enjoy a great time here on Long Island. I think you guys would have a great time.
6: Yeah, I think that's a great opportunity. Yeah, I think we're, we're definitely down
3: to do that. All right, so my producer over here will stay in touch with you guys, and I'll plan something, and uh, you guys come out here, and I'll show you, I'll show you guys a good time. Because listen, you're 21. Trust me, you're not going to go crazy. I'll make sure you're not going to get in trouble. But it it would be great. And and you guys for for everything that you guys have done, you guys should be very proud of yourselves. And and I believe that. Everything happens for a reason. What you guys did against Purdue in the first round of the NCAA tournament, and 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 really win or lose in the second round, you lost against a team that went to the Final Four. So, who knows if you if you would have won that game, you could have been the team going into the Final Four. Anything is possible. So. I, you guys are good kids. Tobin told me when we were going to have you guys on uh, the next day that he said you guys were a good bunch of kids and that you guys are hardworking and dedicated to the sport. So, and I see that with you guys and uh, I wish you all the luck in the world.
6: Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for having me.
3: Absolutely. And we'll reach out to you. My producer will reach out to you and I will, I listen, I'm a man of my word. So uh, right. we will discuss it after July, maybe in August. Uh, before school starts, I don't want your coach to chop my head off. <laughs> uh, but you guys, a couple of you guys, can come out here. Uh, you know, you guys can take a bus, you can take a train out in Ron concomo We'll pick you up and we'll take you out to the wineries and we'll show you guys a good time. I think you guys will really enjoy it, and we'll show you the beauty of Long Island—not just New York, but Long Island. I think it's it's a tremendous place to check out, especially if you've never been here before.
6: Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you very much. Absolutely, as well.
3: Keep up the good work, boys. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.
6: Thank you.
3: As everybody knows, we were just talking to FDU, men's basketball forward Sean Moore, and guard Braden Reynolds. Very nice kids. Yes. Really, really nice kids.
4: <laughs> they great impressions too. So.
3: Awesome. And you want to know something? Being that they are going to be 21, maybe I'll take them out for their birthdays out to the wineries. I think they would really enjoy it. It's something they've never done before. And uh, they get to check out the beauty of Long Island and New York and the Hamptons, which – Again, they've been to New York City, but they've never been to Long Island. So, congratulations to the FDU Knights. They oh, were a yeah. fantastic run, uh, unbelievable win against Purdue, and deserve every bit of the credit. And Tobin uh, deserves all the bit and all the worth going to Iona and and taking taking over Iona basketball from Rick Pitino, who now is coaching the St. Johns. Yes, our St. Johns team. So, Johnny's. Yes, the Johnny's. So. Yeah, so uh, at nine o'clock we will be talking to NHL.com editor and host of NHL Draft Class podcast, Adam Kimmelman. So he will be joining us. We will talk about Connor Bedard. I'm sure he has his own thoughts. On how great he is, and how special he is. Uh, some people say he could even be better than uh, Connor McDavid. So could you imagine two Connors? From one Connor to another. <laughs> one Connor to another. I mean, I, I a lot of I I had the opportunity to watch the thirty for thirty. Um, on the Disney Plus, of Wayne Gretzky when he got traded uh, from uh, the Edmonton Oilers to the L.A. Kings. Mm-hmm. That is some of the things I didn't did not know about that trade and how it happened, and that he was really traded for money. That's what he was traded for because Edmonton's uh, Edmonton's owner, I forget Pete or something, I forget his last name. He couldn't. Uh, he couldn't afford to keep the team running, right. and he needed to trade his the best player, one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player, to ever play in ho- hockey history. Because you can argue, Mario Lemieux, Gordie Howe, there were a lot of, a, you know, Bobby Orr, there were a lot of great players, but Wayne Gretzky, the great one, he has almost every single scoring, you know, title, and right. points, goals, everything, so... Obviously, they put Wayne Gretzky as the greatest player of all time, but uh, some people could argue it. But it was a very interesting 30-for-30. So if you guys have not checked out uh, the 30-for-30 on the Wayne Gretzky story on the trade, uh, I think it was – I I will look it up.
4: I think it was 91 or something like that. They traded him to the Kings. and Wasn't he dating some actress? It was 88. It was 88. Okay. It was was 88 when he
3: got traded. And
4: um, he was he, he he married
3: the actress. Okay. Yes.
4: Yeah, I was just saying that was I think that was the biggest reason why I always heard that uh, he wanted to go to the Kings initially. He wanted to go to that Southern California. Well, you know he didn't
3: want to go. He wanted to stay. He wanted to be with Edmonton. He wanted. Oh, really? Okay. The, the problem was is they wanted to negotiate the deal before he became a free agent. He didn't. He didn't want. He didn't want to negotiate until his contract was up. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought it. I don't. I didn't think he like forced
4: himself out, but I think he was saying like he preferred to go there. I thought for a while, but I guess that wasn't the case because I know the hockey, it, the NHL
3: expansion. It, I think it was called Kings Ransom Thirty okay. for Thirty. Gotcha. Yes.
4: Yeah, because the NHL expansion started a couple of years later, going into California, where the Ducks and the Sharks came in as well, and a lot of the other West Coast teams, the Southern teams came in. So it really started the revolution. But the Kings were already there, so they got some popularity that way and really helped spark their franchise once Gretzky got over there too, just popularity wise. They never won a cup with him. They lost one to Montreal, a very good Montreal team. But still, that really changed the popularity of Southern hockey. I I also
3: checked out the the other 30 for 30 story that I I had the opportunity to watch. Elway to Marino. Did you ever check out that 30 for 30? Uh, On when John Elway got drafted uh, by the Baltimore Colts. Mm -hmm. And he didn't want to play for the Baltimore Colts. Right. And uh, his father did not want him to play for the Baltimore Colts. It, it does remind me of the whole Peyton Manning yep. situation. Mm-hmm. When he was coming from Tennessee, he decided to go back and play his senior year because he didn't want to play for the Jets, if you remember. And Archie Manning didn't want Eli to play for the Chargers. No, either, so. and, and <laughs> if you didn't know this, Archie Manning's father uh, was a Giants fan. So he wanted Eli to play for the Giants. And he kind of reached out to the Giants and, and kind of made the Giants pursue Eli Manning. I don't know if you knew that.
4: I didn't realize. No, but, so it was their grandfather was a Giants fan. That's interesting. Big Giant fan. Yeah, yes, okay. and
3: Archie grew up a Giant fan.
4: Okay. Yeah. Because that, that they followed
3: sense. the Giants. Uh, they his father followed the Giants when. Uh, he was a kid. Right. And
4: that makes sense. There was only, I think, 12 teams in the league at that time. So that kind of thing would make sense where Archie obviously played for the Saints that weren't around yet. And mm-hmm. obviously when they played there, they were horrible. So that makes a lot of sense. And he didn't want them to play for the Chargers. And uh, with the way their ownership is, it uh, makes a lot of sense.
3: Yeah. Well, I've watched a lot of these 30 for 30s and... Uh, they're fantastic, fantastically produced and directed. Uh, and, and some of the stories, like I knew a lot about these stories, like even when Wayne Gretzky was traded to the Kings, but the, the back end of it, I didn't know. I didn't know that ownership over there in Edmonton couldn't afford keeping the team running. And that's why they, tra- that's why they traded Wayne. He traded Wayne Gretzky for $15 million in five, pro- you know, a couple of picks and, and a couple of prospects. And uh, Wayne Gretzky wound up going to L.A. and it had nothing to do with his wife. And a lot of people were blaming his wife on the reasons why he uh, he decided to uh, wanting. A lot of people thought that he wanted to be traded to L.A. That was not true. He wanted to finish his career. He wanted to end his career in Edmonton. Uh, and 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 ownership really were throwing him under the bus, making him look bad uh, be, behind the scenes when this was all going on. And that that's what pissed Wayne Gretzky off. And wow. that main, mainly turned him off on leaving the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. And the Oilers have looked dysfunctional ever since. Well, <laughs> if you really look at the background after that, uh, they winded up uh, trading Mark Messier and right. and everybody, Kevin Lowe, everybody, everybody, Grant Fjord, all of them, winded up going and, and leaving the team. Esa in Every single one of those players winded up leaving the Edmonton Oilers.
4: The the Rangers traded for three more of them during the 94 season, too, of that team. Just go with
3: No. And that's what's crazy about, you know, sports. Even in the time that, you know, when Archie Manning was playing, there was no trading. There was none. Right. You know, there was no free agency. There was no salary cap at all. Yeah, there was no free agency. So, Archie... He played for the Saints all those years and never won because he was on a terrible football team. But so, if he wanted to play for the Giants or if he wanted to play for the Colts or whoever he wanted to play for, he could never play for them because there was no free agency and there was no trades. That all changed, uh, you know, at the end of the 70s, going into the 80s and the 90s. So, uh, the game has changed and sports has changed. And that's what makes, uh, you know, when it comes to money and everything has become a business now. And we, we talk about it all the time, a.k.a. Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley wants as much money as he possibly can get uh, because he's 26 years old. And as a running back, how many years do they An average running back plays three years in the NFL.
4: Right. And, again, you also look at a case where you, you see different phases of these franchises, too. You talk about it with the Oilers. Like, they're always thought of as a storied franchise for hockey because of, the, of Wayne Gretzky winning all those Stanley Cups. But now they're thought of kind of dysfunctional. So you kind of think we had a team like Washington, which we'll get into later. Like, they were always thought of as a historically good franchise. Then it became dysfunctional. And it team like the Saints, which was dysfunctional earlier in their existence, is pretty well run in the 21st century. So yeah. there's always phases of it with the ownership because of that.
3: It's so interesting when – when, when you talk about certain players, you talk about certain teams and, and, and the, the, the way they want to move forward with their organizations. Maybe they decide, you know what, they want to rebuild. And teams do decide that they want to go, they want to look elsewhere. They want to trade away pieces and rebuild and, and, and become uh, a different, different team. And that's why they bring in a different coach. And, and then they decide to move on with the GM. So the transition is always different. Eventually, you see what the Texans, are not the Texans, uh, the Titans are doing right yep. now. Oh, they're, yeah. they're looking to trade Derrick Henry. He's going to be gone. Uh, they're still under contract with Ryan Tannehill. Eventually, they'll try to move Ryan Tannehill if, they, if it's not this year. Uh, next year, they'll let him go. So they're looking to rebuild. The question is, is Vrabel the guy that's going to help rebuild this team, or are they going to look elsewhere for a new GM and a new coach? So y- you just don't know what these teams and what they're thinking. Ownership. Decides to move on, and how long does a coach usually keep his job? Nobody's like Bill Belichick that keeps his job for twenty some odd years. Right. Okay, you have to be an elite coach like a great a great Popovich or Pat Riley or or uh, Phil Jackson for those kind type of guys to keep their jobs for such a, keep their jobs for such a long time. Eventually, the team loses uh, loses uh, the ear or the, the the players lose the ear of the coach or the coach. Uh, they they just they, they can't they don't. They don't like the coach anymore. Right, and they want to move on from the from the coach. And we've seen
4: it even quicker now in today's game than ever before. Especially with football, these coaches, these quarterbacks, they only get sometimes one or two years to, to get. It. it seems fire coaches after one year is a trend that never really existed that much before that. But it's happened a couple times the last five years or so, mm-hmm. and for a lot of different reasons, a lot of reasons that are not very good either with the ownership for some of these teams, A.K.A. the Texans especially. But still, you're looking at a case where it like. These
3: guys have shorter leashes now than ever before. Bill O'Brien ruined that team. Oh yeah, he ruined that team. <laughs> the first couple of years with Bill O'Brien as the head coach of the team, they were they were a pretty good team uh, with Watson and JJ Watt and everything like that. It was really when they fired the GM and they moved him to the GM of the team, and 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 losing those games in the playoffs to horrible games that they should have won. I think yeah. there was one year. I think they played Kansas City. Yeah, they were up twenty four nothing. Yeah, and and. They lost a twenty-four nothing lead to the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> they lost by twenty, too. So like uh, I they mean, outscored fifty-one to seven. The rest of the uh, game. with that defense, with a, a dominant defense, with J.J. Watt in the prime right. of his career, right, and and Clowney and, and merciless,
4: yeah, two uh, good middle linebackers, yeah. That a was a downs.
3: that was a really good defensive team, and they gave up. They were up twenty-four to nothing, and they, they couldn't win that game. And that has a lot to do with coaching. When you're up. A.K. Kyle Shanahan, I take shots at Kyle Shanahan in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, and he, everybody's going to say, "Well, he wasn't the coach; he was the offensive coordinator. It was the play calling of Kyle Shanahan that screwed up the game in the fourth quarter." Uh,
4: Jeff, uh, we know I know Bill O'Brien had some good coaching years. I know you're saying he wasn't the one that ruined the team, but it was more when he like later on when he got Jeff will
3: find any way to argue anything I say.
4: Uh, Later on, when he got Deshaun Watson and had Deshaun Watson at the top of his game at that point, he made a lot of questionable coaching decisions in a lot of key games for them and really did not, it really held them back. And even the game they won, he against ruined the Bills, that team.
3: He ruined that team.
4: Even the game against the Bills, when they, when they came back from down 16 nothing, give them a lot of credit for that. Buffalo still made more mistakes than Houston won that game with, really. And Deshaun Watson made all those great play extensions, too. So, again, that coaching even wasn't great either. And then when he tried to take over and become a GM, you saw that happen with Chip Kelly, too. They really ran that team into the ground.
3: Um, yeah. So, uh, Adam Schefter reports that the Texans are not sold on taking a quarterback at number two. Overall, the Texans' new head coach... Uh, uh, D'Amico Ryans also mentioned it is unfair to any rookie to have to come in and be a face of a franchise. The Texans' current quarterback uh, is Davis, uh, Davis Mills and Case Keenum and E.J. Perry. We were talking about him <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> Within four. their division, the Colts currently hold the number four pick, and the Titans have also been rumored to trade up with the Cardinals at number three. There has been also been a buzz uh, with the Texans, like Tennessee, uh, for quarterback uh, Hendon Hooker, who likely won't be a first-round pick. Most of the recent rumors have linked the Panthers to Bryce Young, potentially leaving C.J. Stroud available to a team trading up at number three, or the Colts at number four. Who do we have, Jeff? Yep, put him on, Jeff. What's up? Dude, it, I don't think it was
2: Bill O'Brien that ruined that team at all. It was that Jack Easterby fool that came from New England. That dude just was more than happy to burn everything to the ground. And he was more of the reason because he was the one that ruined the relationship and started shipping all the players out. And Bill O'Brien is the one that was just left holding the bag, dude.
3: I will say this. Bill O'Brien is a great offensive coordinator. He is a great offensive coordinator. And we've seen what he's done for the Patriots. We saw what he did with Penn State. And then we, we, the first two or three years with uh, the, the Texans, they were good. They were playing good football. And then what happened? The first two or three years, and then what happened? Everything imploded.
2: They no, they hired Jack Easterby. That's when they, they hired Jack Easterby, and he came in and ruined everything and was undermining everything that Bill O'Brien was doing.
3: Again, I, I don't know the ins and the outs of the Texans. All I know is usually when, when things start to break – Break down. They blame the coach. That's what they usually do. And and who's the the first one to usually go? It's the coach. It goes coach, and then GM. That's what right, usually but, happens. No, no, no.
2: That's absolutely what usually happens. That's that's correct. But the GM is tied to it there too. Mm-hmm. And I'll just give you a an old Bill Parcell saying. Mm-hmm. You want me to cook the meal. Or you want me to pick the groceries. <laughs>
4: Bill, Bill Parcells, the great philosopher. Here's my question. Right.
2: Here's my so, question. Right. Okay. So when, when the GM is, is tossing out the groceries, how are you supposed to cook the meal? I,
3: I mean, again, I, I, I don't know what Bill Parcells is talking about, honestly. I, I, I know a lot of people. He wants like, to pick the players.
2: That's what it is. I, and
3: Bill Parcells he, is a great, he was, he was very good at finding talent, especially defensive talent. We've seen him do it. Uh, everywhere he's gone with the Cowboys, with the Jets, everywhere he's gone, even with the Giants, he knew he had an eye for defensive talent. He always did, and uh, and a lot of these guys, Sean Payton, another guy has an eye for talent. Tom Coughlin has an eye for talent. Bill Belichick has an eye for talent, and all these guys come from whose trade? Bill Parcells. So, again, I, I, I again, I don't know the ins and the outs of what happened with the Texans after that third year when everything started to break apart with the Texans. What I didn't understand is when he took over as the GM, when he took over as the GM, I thought everything imploded after that. I don't, and I, I respect Bill O'Brien. His son is autistic. The things that he had to, he has to deal with, you know, off the field. And he's a great father. He really is. He's a great man and he's a great father, but, uh, There are things that I saw as a head coach over the last two two years of his tenure over there with the Texans where everything was starting to break apart, including some of the players not following in and following through with his coaching.
4: And again, you also look at a case where these coaches don't necessarily deserve all that power right away, too, when he did become the GM in transition to that, too, when their GM suddenly stepped down, too. And we saw that happen with Chip Kelly. I just compared it earlier, where once he got more power in terms of the players that he wanted, it really didn't work. Bill O'Brien, coaching-wise, the first three years looked good because he was doing well at managing TJ Yates and all these bad quarterbacks, and they still were winning playoff games amidst all that. Like, the end of Matt Schaub's career, like the one year he was there, it made him look still pretty good before they traded him. the Raiders, like that, looked good, and then all of a
3: sudden they you also had a dominant running back.
4: Yeah, Arian Foster, a dominant running back. They had uh, the end of the career of Andre Johnson. They didn't have him that long, but still had a, like you're saying a very good defense, drafted exceptionally well, especially in that front seven. And they had enough teams that could make it happen. And then all of a sudden the team got a little more well rounded. It looked like they were one of the more talented teams on paper, and the, then his coaching ended up costing them some games. And that was the same kind of thing with Chip Kelly. His first two years. Coaching the Eagles, they were ten and six in both of those years, mm-hmm. and everyone was saying, "Oh, he's the next big offensive coach with this fast-paced offense." All of a sudden, then all of a sudden in twenty fifteen, off season takes over. Oh, he's gonna have GM power. He trades LaShawn McCoy, <laughs> he trades Nick Foles, and he brings in Demarco Murray, which ended up being a massive bust, and he brings in Sam Bradford, who's a fractal
3: piece. Of Wasn't ass. he the one that traded DeAndre Hopkins?
4: Yes, Bill O'Brien traded DeAndre Hopkins in twenty twenty after mm-hmm. they lost in that uh, playoff game, and he was the, the best wide yeah. receiver in the league at that time. Yes, he was. Right, but that was that was
2: all of the direction of Jack. Easter. Uh
1: Easterby
2: all of the direction of Jack Easterby because when Easterby came in he fired that June Gaines that was their GM and then just made Bill O'Brien also the GM when Easterby was the director of operations and he did it to save money that's all he did he fired the GM so then O'Brien had to be the GM Easterby told him he had to trade them to save money Uh everything in the last bunch of years that that's bad that's happened to the Texans is because of Jack Easterby
4: I know a lot of players were complaining about him when they left, uh, Arian Foster being one of them. J.J. Like er- Watt did, Errol's too. was mentioning, yeah, J.J. Yeah. Watt, mm-hmm. Whitney Merciless. They were all definitely getting annoyed at him, too. But there were also some players that were definitely getting frustrated with O'Brien oh, towards yes. the end of his like, coaching tenure, too. Merciless well, was absolutely
3: do? very frustrated with o- Bill O'Brien. Yeah, Jeff, you are I'm Right,
4: and I'm
2: sure that they were frustrated with Bill O'Brien. But what's Bill O'Brien supposed to do? He was forced into being the GM because Easterby fires the GM. Then all the players are complaining to him because he's also the coach and the GM now. Mm-hmm. And he can't go and talk rationally to, to Easterby because he was just, you know, anointed himself king and tried to do whatever he wanted to. So there was a lot of frustrations everywhere with that.
3: Well, going back to this uh, number two pick, and it's a very interesting story right now that they they could not – they. They they could very much move on and not draft a quarterback at number two, which makes no sense. Now, where do they go? Do they go for a defensive player? But they need a quarterback. Do they trust Davis Mills? Do they, they do they do they trust Case Keenum or EJ Perry? We know they don't trust EJ Perry. But uh, Davis, I'm trying
2: to make EJ Perry. A I'm just player. saying he's he's
3: part of that roster. So Davis Mills, he, he's, he won't
2: be. He won't be. Wait until training camp happens. He's the first quarterback cut. And and
3: if you don't like any of these quarterbacks, maybe you trade out of that pick and 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 die another day. Go go at you know trade this year's draft pick and try to get next year's draft pick with one of these teams, one of these rebuilding teams. I mean, that doesn't teams. make a lot of sense either. Well, because you, if you don't trust any of these quarterbacks, you, know, you take, for instance. Let's say, um, who needs a quarterback in the teens? Uh, is there a particular Washington, Car- Carolina,
2: Washington. Commanders.
3: Washington. Okay, so the commanders are drafting at what? 18, I believe. 18. So the commanders know that if they can jump from 18 to 2 to get C.J. Stroud, okay? He's sitting right there. They can get C.J. He's the quarterback of the future of the organization. What would it take to move from 18 to 2? What would it take?
2: Four first-round picks, trial. four Four? I, I don't play. know about you, four.
3: So. I would say... Oh. Go back go back, and, go back, and
2: look at what the 49ers paid to move up one spot from two to one, right? Go back and look that at that That was not
3: one and spot. Then, it was 12 to three. But do they, do, do they
4: trust? One year they moved
2: up one spot. That
4: was the Bears, and they moved up one first-round pick and a fourth.
2: Right. So it was a first-round pick for one spot to move mm-hmm. up one spot, right? Mm-hmm. So go to 18. You're going to be trading everything. Everything you own, you're going to be trading. It's too far to go. It's why they didn't trade up when they were drafting Dwayne Haskins. It's just too expensive from that area. They didn't have to in that draft.
4: Haskins wasn't going to go that early, except if it was to the Giants. And then the, Red, and then the commanders would have just taken Daniel Jones. That's,
3: That's what course. makes the Kansas City Chiefs jumping from, like, what was it? 23 it was 27 23? to 10. 27 to 10 and not really giving up a lot. And they... They made one of the biggest trades in NFL history and they, they landed Patrick Mahomes, which has changed their team's fortunes. Right. I think it was only one extra first round pick
4: and then a third or something like that. It, right, wasn't, but, it wasn't as much that, as it should have been.
2: But that's also because when all the quarterbacks were gone, knowing that Mahomes was like a franchise changer.
3: Well, nobody thought that Mahomes was going to fall out of the top 10. Nobody thought that. The Chiefs were not supposed to be one of those teams taking a quarterback either because Alex Smith was playing very very well.
4: And so they weren't expected that they're going to draft some more defense cuz their defense And a
3: lot of uh, the the football experts and these quarterback experts were saying that Patrick Mahomes could have been a, a top 5, top 7 pick right. and he fell out of that. Now, again, it, we don't know what these quarterbacks are going to turn out to be. CJ Stroud could turn out to be a bust. So could Bryce Young. So could uh, will levis all of these guys could turn richardson could turn out to be the best one we've seen in the last 10 years who knows what these guys are going to develop into but the fact that you're hearing right now that the texans might not draft a quarterback at number 2 is it's a crazy story because if you remember the last 3 3 weeks of the NFL season it was either the texans or chicago and and everybody was going to want everybody was wondering who was going to lose out their games to get that number 1 pick and here's the question right now at number two, if they were number one, do they, do they, do they draft a quarterback at number one? If they're not right. going to draft a quarterback at number two,
4: yeah, that's they're interesting. Still taking, they're still taking
2: quarterback at two. This is another one of those
1: big Really, you don't believe that? Right?
2: No, yeah, they're taking quarterback for sure. What's the old saying? If you have two quarterbacks, you have none. And what were they doing last year, playing Driscoll and Davis Mills? They have no quarterback. They're taking one.
3: No, I understand that. But the fact that Adam Scheffner is coming out with this story, it's not some no-name guy coming out with a story like this. This is is a real story.
2: Now, how right, did? Do... And, and it also could be just one of their team executives planting the story. To or maybe to trying to
3: trade the pick.
4: Right, that might
3: be a afford to
4: trade maybe back from two to five, but still yeah. get the quarterback
3: they want. Because maybe right. they like, like Will well, Levis. Well, maybe
2: it's not the quarterback they want, but it still could be one of the best four quarterbacks in the draft, and they could also gain assets. Mm. Like, you're forgetting that, okay, Easterby was there, and he was a Patriots guy. Still so have a, another Patriots guy there, who's Nick Casario. And what was the Patriots big thing that they did? Doesn't even matter. Move move, trade back. Exactly. So if you can trade back and still get the position you want, because maybe they don't have a preference between. uh, So I would think Stroud is going one. Okay. Stroud's probably going one. So if you have, so if you have no preference between Richardson, Levis and young, doesn't matter anyone that's there at wherever they trade back to five or six or whatever. Uh, whoever's there, you you would still take that. Why wouldn't you also take the assets? You're still getting the quarterback. You didn't per, you didn't have a preference on which one. You just wanted a quarterback so you're going to take one and then you'd get assets.
3: Why is everybody saying very thing. Why is everybody saying that Bryce Young is going number 1? I have read on a bunch of draft boards that Bryce Young is the number 1 quarterback in this year's draft.
2: There's I, I, I can't see him going one.
3: I, I can't either because he's like 5'11", 5'10". He's like 180 pounds soaking wet. He's, he doesn't even have a quarterback body, and he needs to put on some weight. I heard that at the combine, I think he was 200 pounds. I, I, it's hard to believe he jumped from, I think, in the national – um, this year, this season, he was 178 pounds. How he jumped 22 <laughs> pounds in, in less than three months, it doesn't make sense, or two months. It doesn't make sense, so – I I don't believe that, and and the fact that they that he he came in at one hundred ninety nine two hundred pounds is crazy that he gained twenty two pounds in in less than three four weeks. So I,
4: I don't know. Yeah, I those measurements that. are all very different anyway. I think he was listed at the combine closer to one ninety, but you're they right. He said one
3: ninety nine. Okay, but he was closer to two hundred. Right,
4: but you're right. Even that even that ten pound difference. Is but they said hard throughout the
3: season for Alabama he was one hundred and seventy eight pounds.
4: Okay, and yeah, maybe he bulked up during the injury that he you had. You can't bulk up.
3: Almost twenty pounds of muscle. Okay, it's 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 really hard. Well, oh, yeah, that, it is really. I'm telling you, it is really really hard. That definitely leads to There's some fake measurement going on here.
2: But the the other part of this equation is they might already know that Carolina prefers Stroud. Okay, mm-hmm. and if that's the case, the next best quarterback would be Young, theoretically, mm-hmm. right? Just on the list, if you had a list, and maybe that they don't trust his size and his weight and things like that. So why wouldn't they want to trade back, gain some assets? Because, again, theoretically, if you were to trade back to uh, – I'm just trying to think of the list. Who's at six?
4: At six, I think it's the Raiders. Was, oh, no, the Lions. The Lions are the at, Lions at six. Oh, the Lions oh, at six. Seattle's at five. Where eight. were the Falcons
2: at? Eight.
4: Falcons are at eight. They
2: were, okay. So say they want to go back to eight because Atlanta wants a quarterback, which is plausible, right? Yeah, Atlanta definitely. A quarterback. Mm-hmm. Okay. So say they want to go back to eight. What's the move from eight to two? Well, the move from eight to two is probably two more first-round draft picks or, at a minimum, a first- and a second-round draft pick, correct? Yeah. Like you're going to flip the pick. You're going to swap the pick, so it's going to end up being two first-round picks and a second-round pick Yeah. because you're going to swap to go to eight, an extra first, and an extra second. So that way, if you just get the marginal quarterback, say it's Anthony Richardson, who's a big question mark but is very popular, you can take Anthony Richardson at eight. And sell it to your fans by going, we didn't lose anything. We gained more assets and we may have gotten a quarterback because the the Texans still have 13. Do they have? Is it 13 they have or 12? What's the other pick they have? They have They have two first round 12, picks. Yes,
4: number 12 from the Browns. Right,
2: right, right, so they also have 12. So they can also get an offensive lineman. Then come out of the draft with a quarterback, an offensive lineman or a receiver or whatever else they want. Right. And an extra first and second round pick. How would you not consider that a win? Because if you don't, if you, if the next best quarterback is Bryce Young and you don't trust his size, don't take it. Take the assets.
3: I, I mean, it's a, it's, it's interesting question. It's an interesting argument uh, in, in perspective. But I, I also look at where some of these teams are. Are, are they? Are they looking for a quarterback? Are they sincerely looking for a quarterback? We know the Texans are looking for a quarterback. They have been looking for a quarterback. Yeah. They've been, after losing Deshaun Watson and giving up Deshaun Watson for all those first round draft picks, they're in position where they, they need a quarterback and and Davis Mills isn't the guy. He's a good backup. He really is. I, if I could keep Davis Mills as a backup, you have a pretty good backup to depend on if CJ Stroud or Bryce Young can't stay healthy uh, during the season. So, I the the question and the Texans need a lot more than just a quarterback. And maybe that's the way they're looking at it. They they're, sure, but they're that's not also one, the reason yeah.
2: that's also the reason to make the trade. Because instead of just taking the pick at 2 and taking whoever you want at 2, you'd then be getting four players mm. or three players. You'd be getting eight and then another first rounder even if it's next year. Like the, you know, NFL builds don't happen overnight. They don't how long the Jets been building? That's not a shot. That's just reality.
6: fifty years.
3: Fifty years. <laughs> well,
2: well, no. Well, no. I mean, they've been getting better recently. But Since Joe build, Douglas, the,
3: it's been four the, years. Right,
2: but the, right. So, but the build takes several years. Mm-hmm. So you want more assets. That's what you want to plug more holes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it
4: makes sense for them to do that. But right, The usual builds that we've seen a lot of these good teams have been three years, four years for the most part. And they've been doing it by trading back a lot and getting accumulating draft picks too, but they still have the draft. Right, well. but,
2: right. But the build starts now. This is the year of the build because sure. Casario, this, will, this will be Casario's second draft. The build starts now. All right. Je- the clock starts ticking now. Like, so what happened before, you can't worry about what happened before. They just hired a new general manager. It's like when Brian Dayball just got to New York with Joe Shane. Right? Mm-hmm. You, you, don't, you don't worry about the the years before that, the McAdoo years. That's water <laughs> under the bridge. The build starts now. From now on is how you start measuring it because that's when Casario started.
3: Jeff, why don't you stay on? We're going to be doing a new segment called Let's Parlay. We have Worldwide West going to be, co- be going to be brought in when we come back from break. So you stay on. What we're going to do is we're going to set up. Um, we, we, we I know Speedy explained everything to Wes. Uh, this segment is going to be uh, parlaying a certain uh, either five or four teams. Uh, your best parlays for the next two to three days. And uh, we're going to keep tabs on all the guys, all the handicappers that we have on. And uh, at the end of the month, whoever is in the lead will get a twenty-five, dollars $30 diff, a gift certificate from the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Stay on, Jeff. When we come back, our new segment, Let's Parlay, here on the Sports Loudmouth.
0: It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
7: When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.
0: You're, you're, you're listening to the World Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouths.
3: 631-672-3108 is the number to call. You are listening to the Sports Loud Mouths. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy. Remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including our show, The Sports Lambouts, which airs every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great shows, great content, great guests. Tune in to the World Wide Sports Radio Network throughout the week. And now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, before we introduce our new segment, Let's Parlay, uh, we have Jeff and Worldwide Wide West in To help us parlay. Speedy, are you ready?
4: Yep. Let's parlay. Parlay, ole, ole,
3: ole. It's time for let's parlay. All right, the first show of the year. With Let's Parlay, it's a new segment where we're going to get some really good handicappers and some of the best handicappers on the show, and we're going to go through some of their best parlays throughout the week, and we're going to keep – Speedy is going to keep tabs on it at the end of the month. First of all, whoever listens to this show and and listens to these handicappers, you have a chance to win a lot of money. Wes is one of the best, one of the best in the business. We're happy to have him on. I know he's a busy guy. He's a chef out in Kansas City, but this is what he does on the side, and he's very good at it. And Jeff, who does it also for practically a, liv- a living, he's really good at it too, um, I, I, I speak to him every single day about, uh, all the different games that he bets on, including soccer. We have him on the other line. And what we're going to do is we're going to, like I said, we're going to go throughout the next couple of days. It doesn't matter what day, what, whichever day Wes likes when it comes to parlaying a certain amount of games, he's going to give you the score and he's going to give you the parlay throughout the week. Are you guys ready? Wes, what's up, man? I haven't seen you in a while.
8: You know, it's been a been a busy spring. It's good to be back.
3: Well, you look good. You're wearing a Kansas City Chiefs hat. I'm not very uh, fond <sighs> of that. But, hey, maybe it's the Jets in Kansas City in the AFC title game this year. So, I, I would like to see that.
8: You, 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 they're going to have to get to that Arrowhead Invitational. <laughs> right. Great. my homeboy hosts it every my year. My boy. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes, because nobody's ever used that joke before, Wes. I, <laughs> you're being a Chiefs fan all this time. I thought you would have a, a more creative one. <laughs> I never claimed
8: to be original.
4: That's true. That is true. You grew up a Chicago fan. That's right.
3: All right. So, Wes, we're going to go with you first. I I want you to give us uh, your parlays throughout the week. You could pick any other days, or you could pick two days. Give us your four to five best games. Give us the score and give us the over-unders, whichever way, how you want to parlay it.
8: So I'm gonna I'm gonna take it all the way to Saturday just because I'm I'm mm-hmm. heavy in MBA right now and I think that we're looking at some really lopsided spreads. But I, I, it's very important that I that I point out. I'm gonna give four plays and, and you know I I play them single units on every play and the parlay part of it for the for the bankroll management side of it, you're probably putting a tenth of a unit or a quarter unit on the actual four way parlay. There, there's only one way to win a parlay and and there's four ways to lose it. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, It's important to point that out so nobody's doing reckless gambling. I'm going to start tonight. I like Oklahoma City tonight. Um, I like, I'm going to take six points. Uh, I think that they'll keep it competitive. I don't know that they win the game. I think they have a chance to win the game. But I do like Oklahoma City uh, and the six points. Then I'm going, I'm going out to the NHL. Uh, it's, it's 13, so I think it's tomorrow. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to Chicago. Yes, that's my team, but it's probably Jonathan Taves' last home game at the United Center, and there's absolutely no way that they don't win that game. Chicago, surprisingly, as bad as they are, they don't have a problem scoring goals. So I'm taking Chicago money line there. Um, and then I'm going Saturday on the NBA. We got, I got an easy one, but that's part of... When you're doing a, a four-way parlay, you've got to throw a gimme in there. So I'm going Boston Celtics money line. I'm not going to lay the nine points because I don't really like the number. I'm just going. We're just going to take an easy add-in to the parlay with the Celtics money line. Uh, and then I'm taking the Knicks. I'm taking the five and a half points, and I think that the Knicks are going to outright win the game at Cleveland. I, I, do, I look at this, and I look at the players, and I look at the rosters, and the style of play, and, and the way that teams have injuries and try and turn it off and on. I, I I don't understand why the Knicks are even underdogs here. So the five and a half points is a gift. And that's that's where I'm at for the four days. I'm playing them all straight, and then we're going to do about a tenth of a unit on the on the parlay itself. How about you, Jeff? Do you have uh, a couple of games that you could
3: parlay throughout the week?
2: Yeah, you're you're going to hate me because you're you're just not going to like any of us. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: first of all, we are starting in La Liga. We're going to La Liga, where Real Betis is at home, taking on Espanyol, Barcelona. And I'm taking Real Betis on the money line. They're minus 116. And then we're going to switch over. And that's on Saturday. And also on Saturday, we're going to switch over to now Bundesliga. Borussia Dortmund at VFB Stuttgart. Borussia Dortmund is minus 105. And then so after that one, we're, we're now switching leagues again. Still on Saturday, going to the, League, the Premier League, EPL. Uh, we're going to Aston Villa and Newcastle United. BTTS for those teams. That means both teams to score, which is at minus one twenty-five. Doesn't matter who wins, as long as both teams score in that match, you're a winner. <laughs> and then go, switching to Sunday, the match between Werder Bremen. And SC Freiburg back in the Bundesliga at minus one fifty six. Uh, th- that is both teams to score in that match. BTTS again. You parlay those four together. It comes out to plus nine eighty nine. I recommend putting your mortgage payment. Also bet responsibly, folks.
3: <laughs> what are you saying, Wes? Uh, you're you muted over there. What
4: do he hey,
8: you say? Know, I'm talking bankroll management. He's talking mortgage payments. <laughs> <laughs> all right, never talked about that?
4: that with your. Uh, he was saying you were. You, he was talking uh, bankroll management. You were talking mortgage payments. <laughs> <laughs> Wes is also very well, very well versed in a lot of other uh, financial aspects.
3: Yes, he does. He has a lot of financial aspects. I mean, I mean that's terrific.
2: Bankroll management. It's all very important. I do recommend betting responsibly. If you want to be a loser, if you want to be a hero, bet your mortgage payment. You'll pay your entire year's mortgage right off of this one parlay. 9 later, plus nine eighty nine.
8: <laughs> I feel like I need a Rosetta Stone to understand what leagues some of these games are. Though I'm gonna, I'm, I wrote them all down, and I'm going. I'm, I want that parlay cash. I just, I, I don't know that I speak some of these languages. <laughs>
4: <laughs> La Liga, Bundesliga, and uh, a British Premier or English Premier League. <laughs>
2: right, right. It's it's La Liga. It's two Bundesliga plays. One uh, one Bundesliga play is Saturday. One Bundesliga play is Sunday, and then a Prem League play.
4: And Bundesliga, I believe, is Germany, right, Jeff?
2: Bundesliga is Germany. Do you know which one is La Liga?
4: Spain. Spain is correct, sir. You are now
2: the United Nations, Speedy. Good for you.
4: My, my uncle, my uncle lives in Patchogue is a huge soccer fan, and he's a he's a big Bundesliga guy. Like he watches a lot of it, right. like, Pretty religiously. Ne- yeah, I mean, I'm like Epcot, bro. We're gonna eat and drink around the world next week. I may
2: throw in Serie A, which is Italy, and I may throw in League One, which is France. You never really know, but these are the four I like from this week. Bet your mortgage payment. <laughs>
3: Worldwide, Wes and Jeff from Tampa. So, uh, we'll, we'll, Speedy, you're going to keep tabs on it. Yeah, I, I, I logged them already. So, Wes says uh,
4: for the recap: OKC plus six tonight. Uh, Blackhawks money line tomorrow. Celtics money line. You said on Saturday and Knicks minus five and a half on Saturday as well. And Jeff, hold on, say-
8: uh, Wes, what were you going to say? PD, the Knicks are dogs getting five
4: and a half. Plus oh, five plus five and a half. half. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that clarification. And then, uh, Jeff, uh, I don't know if I'm saying all these names right, but La Liga, uh, Real Benes or whatever it was, uh, Moneyline?
2: Real, Real Benes, Seville. Venice and they're Seville. playing Espanyol Barcelona. All right, so they're Moneyline. Barcelona.
4: And then uh, you have, in the Bundesliga, you have uh, Borussia Dortmund, minus 105. My, uh, well, yeah in my book it's minus 102 close enough it's the same thing okay uh Premier League uh both teams to score uh I don't I I, I miss the first team so Newcastle Aston, and who
2: Aston Villa
4: Aston Villa and Newcastle both teams to score and then on Sunday uh Verta Bemin and FC fiber or something like that what was
2: it <laughs> Yes, sir. all teams to score, and
4: in my book, that's minus 156. Okay, I did That one I had right. Okay, I did have minus one, 156 for on that one. I just didn't know if I was pronouncing the
3: names right for this. Uh, <laughs> Bundesliga teams. <laughs> well, uh, Wes, uh, your time is going to come with your Golden State Warriors. We'll see if uh, they go back to the championship, but I, I don't believe it's going to happen. What are you doing over there? Sleeping over there.
8: Oh, I I I just am remembering when Steph put the garden to sleep last year. Oh yeah, wow. <laughs> there, It's plus plus twelve hundred again, and I'm I'm making some deposits on it. They're just they're the best coach team. They're healthy at the right time. I truly believe that what they can do is is very uh, Patriots, New England Patriots. The past couple, I, it just nobody sees them coming. Hold on, right hold now. on. Does does
2: West's parlay start tonight?
4: Yes, the OKC. Uh, He's got plus six uh, OKC against the Pelicans in the playing game tonight.
2: All right. I'll make Wes a deal. I will play and tail his parlay if he tails mine. (laughs)
4: All right. So I I don't know if you heard Jeff, Wes. He was saying he's going to tail that parlay if you tail one of his uh, soccer ones, I guess.
8: You know, I I, I will. I can't promise you that it'll be full units. (laughs) He can't
3: promise. He can't promise it could be full units, but he, he will.
8: I will play. I will. I will lay a four-way parlay on it.
3: He will play and lay a four-way parlay because of because that's of what you he
8: should do. And when he makes money, he can thank me later. That's that's, that's all I, I ask for. <laughs> Just thank me later, Wes.
3: <laughs> thank him later, Wes. I'm
8: thanking you now. I'm 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 getting ready to watch some football.
3: <laughs> football. <laughs> football. Anyways, Wes, thank you for giving us the time. We'll get you on next week. What we're going to have moving forward, Speedy's going to reach out. We're going to have at least. Three to four handicappers on at once, and we're going to go through their best parlays for the week, and we're going to keep tabs on them throughout the week. And whoever has the most points, we will grade them with wins and losses and their parlays. If they win throughout the month, they will get a 25 or $30, $30 gift certificate at the end of the month. And you can use it for whatever, drinks, whatever. Uh, but we will send you a gift certificate. So, Jeff, call back a little later. Thank you, man. Oh, Jeff is gone, so... you he no, he's me.
4: still there. He's still allegedly there. No, there he, he is. Goes. He's gone. <laughs> no, he's gone.
3: He's sent <laughs> him away.
4: He's sent <laughs> him away.
3: At 9 o'clock, we'll be talking to NHL.com editor and host of NHL Draft Class Podcast, Adam Kimmelman. He will be joining us, so we're very excited to have him on. That uh, interview with uh, the FDU guys were great. Fantastic. Yeah, they were great, and I think our questions were pretty good. And, uh, I you know, it's hard. I will say that it's hard to ask questions to a bunch of kids, and, and and you could talk all you want about that game against Purdue, and we asked a lot of questions about the game Purdue and the coaches and everything like that. But after that, uh, there's very little questions you can ask uh, that um, they could either answer or they can't answer. So, right. uh, nevertheless, we really appreciate Sean and Brady for joining us. They were fantastic, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm I am fair, and I when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. So when you guys turn 21 uh, in July, uh, Speedy, you will reach out to them. You will make sure that Sean and Braden stay in touch with you. Get their numbers. I have Braden's number. I'll, get, right. I'll get Sean's. Get their numbers, and when they're ready, they can bring whoever they want on me. I'll take them out to a really nice winery uh, for the weekend, maybe a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. They can come out here, and we'll take them out for a good time. And mm. I, I think they'll really enjoy it. It's the beauty of uh, the beauty of Long Island, and uh, I don't want to get them drunk because I don't want to get in trouble by their coaches. But I, I want them to see the beauty of uh, Long Island. It'll be the uh, the winery version of the Knights of the Round Table with the Fairly Dickinson Knights. There you go, and uh, maybe they'll sign a couple autographs. There you go. Mm-hmm. So uh, happy to have him. Happy to have him on. In uh, in just a few minutes, we'll have Adam Kimmelman on talking a little hockey. Um. Jeff Bezos says he will not make a bid for the commanders. It's, we've been arguing this for the last couple of weeks. And it's crazy to think that Bezos was a guy that a lot of people, a lot of the inside people that are very close to him, say that he, he's always wanted to, uh, to buy this team. They've, he's always been interested. For the last five to six years, he's been interested in buying the Washington Commanders. And now, all of a sudden, he comes out and says that he's not interested in buying them. He's not making a bid for them. Reports back in March said that Dan Schneider was blocking Bezos from bidding at the time. Bezos owns the Washington Post, which publishes several stories of the investigation of Dan Schneider's wrongdoings. The Devils and 76ers owner Josh Harris and Canadian billionaire Steve Astopoulos were the two guys that made bids. Uh, Worth about $6 billion to buy the team. There has been talks of a large-scale deal uh, with Amazon and the NFL on a big TV and media contract that could happen at the start of 2024 season. So maybe that's the reason why he, he decided to not make a bid for... Uh, the commanders, because it could hurt his stake right. in that deal. So I don't know. Is he still the CEO of the Am- uh, For of Amazon? If, he, if he's not, he's not the he's the
4: part one still, I guess. But like you're right, he's, I don't think he, he has the full he, one anymore. So yeah, but he, he is the
3: stuff. richest man in the world. Yeah, right. So, I mean, it, it's he made his billions and billions. He's almost at a trillion. You know, he might be the first. The first uh, billionaire that becomes a trillionaire, who knows yeah uh, I, what is he worth right now? is Bezos worth three hundred billion? I know he gave his wife a a couple of billion dollars she she I think he gave her sixteen billion or something like that, but uh, Bezos is worth uh, a lot of money you know for a person that could type very fast uh, during one hundred
4: twenty five point one billion u s dollars. That's what he owns. That's what he's worth right now. Okay, net, wor- net worth one hundred twenty
3: one five point one billion dollars. That's a lot of money. So he's a long way from a trillion. He's about nine hundred and something billion dollars from a trillion. But uh, still, I don't think we'll ever see a trillionaire. And if we do, I I, I don't know if I'll be alive to see it. But uh, nevertheless, um, it, it, this is an interesting story, okay? Because Jeff Bezos is a guy that's been wanting to buy a professional sports team over the last five years. uh, A lot of people were saying that the commanders or the Washington football team was the team that if he was going to make a bid for a team, then we've heard the Broncos were another team that he was intrigued and interested before uh, they were bought uh, last year uh, in the off season. There's a lot of questions to a lot of these billionaires on investing money into these sports teams and speed and speedy. Uh, we've had Jeff on the show plenty of times argue over the years and, and a lot of these sports teams are just going up every single year I mean the Yankees are worth like eight, almost 8 billion dollars right I they, think
4: the Yankees are the, the richest uh, baseball team and the Knicks are the richest NBA team and, and the and com-
3: uh, not the commanders the Cowboys, the Cowboys are the richest yes. of
4: any sport in, or any uh, American sport and I think there's two soccer teams that are above uh, the, the Cowboys I think Real Madrid and Barcelona or something like that are, are above them but yeah the Cowboys I think the, the Patriots were second And the Giants were third for the NFL and the NHL. I think the richest one is the Rangers,
3: I think. But they're like like 20th among all professional sports teams. And by the way, James Dolan owns two of those teams. Yep. And he might part ways with both of them. But he's never going to he's never going to sell Madison Square Garden. Yeah. He's never going to do that because of the money that he brings in every single year with the concerts. and, And that will be interesting when. Uh, if he does sell both those teams, if the Knicks, the owner of the Knicks decide, hey, you know what? I don't want them to play Madison Square Garden anymore. I want to build my own stadium. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's interesting to think. Yeah, I, I, again, I don't know why that and they would necessarily want unless that. they have a contract with James Dolan that he he they right. those owners have to keep them there for a certain amount of time. Yeah, why wouldn't you do that? Because there's more benefit for those owners to make more money.
4: Now, it's interesting, you're right, because MSG, MSG, whatever it over, overlooks is also, like you're saying. The yeah, but who makes
3: – here's the thing. Okay, let's say you own the Knicks, okay? Who's making the money on the food? Dolan. Who, or you, obviously, not necessarily because the well, owner yeah, – team with the team revenue too. The team, team revenue with, yeah. would get something out of that because how are they going to pay the players? Right. They have to make something. So Dolan will have a deal with those teams when those games are going on where he makes a percentage – most of the teams would make the majority of that money. Yeah. Dolan would make like 20% or 15% of the games and the rest goes to the team because those teams have to pay the players. How do you think they pay the players? There's a certain money anointed with the salary cap with the NBA. It's not really a big
4: deal as much as it is in other sports, but it's something like 214 million or something like that. And that that's a portion of the team revenue that the, obviously the Knicks are bringing in billions of dollars. They're the most uh, valuable basketball team. That's going to take in a lot to be in that percentage too. And, the rangers it's going to be a big portion of it too because the nhl salary cap is very low in comparison to the other sports too it's 82 million so the the rangers percentage revenue wise is probably very similar how
3: would you think these teams paid their players you just you pretty much were saying that uh, james dolan would make the majority of the money no way how are they going to pay all these these millionaire you know athletes if if they're not making any money on their games. What's interesting though is because
4: MSG is a very famous arena for everything else as it is too. You know? But
3: he owns the arena. If he, he owns the teams. If he sells the right to the teams, th- obviously when the games are going on, the, the team makes the majority of the money. Probably may- brings in about 85% and, and James Dolan will get 15% or 10% of whatever earnings are at, on that day of the game. So most of the money goes to the team and the owner of the team they're renting out the stadium. So if I was the owner of the Knicks, or I was the owner of the Rangers and and James Dolan decides to sell the Rangers for 3 billion dollars and decides to sell the Knicks for 7 billion, okay? Why would I want to keep the Knicks in Madison Square Garden when I'm not I'm making profit obviously. I'm making profit most of the profit off the games, but I'm not making the I'm not making all of the profit. If I build my own stadium, in, you know, not obviously not Manhattan, but maybe Brooklyn or, well, you can't because the the, the, Nets, the Nets are there. Yeah. Maybe you decide to build it in Long Island or whatever, wherever you decide, or maybe somewhere else in Manhattan. Uh, the, to me, as an owner, that's what I would rather do. I don't want to put more money in, in James Dolan's pocket. Yeah, it's a, it's a similar analogy with uh, with Steve Cohen now with the Mets,
4: because the Wilpons technically still own SNY, so he's not getting that kind of revenue either, so there's always been these rumors, too, that Steve Cohen's going to change that network, too. He wants to build his own network, but he's just waiting for the guys to do it, so how much power he's going to have in that is going to be very interesting, too, if it is down, way down the road. And same kind of thing, like you're saying, with the Knicks and the Rangers, too. If there is an owner that's that much richer than James Dolan, it's possible, yeah, but James Dolan is, like you're saying, he owning at, both teams and everything else. Look at Steve
3: Cohen. He's been trying to buy- by Sny from the well ponds forever, and look how bad Sny is doing. And, oh, I agree. Yeah. And by the way, Sny and the the Mets, the well ponds are paying. By the way, I don't know if they're paying or. The Mets pay, or is Steve Cohen paying the Wilpons to play their games on the on the? No, S&Y. I think it's the other way around. I think the Wilpons, Wilpons are still paying. paying
4: them to still keep them on SNY. Yeah. So
3: what what I don't understand is why don't they just sell SNY to Uncle Stevie? Right. For a couple of billion dollars and make their money and their profit off of that? Because honestly, why would you be paying? You're not really bringing in that much revenue over there in SNY. Look at the yeah. look at the shows that they have on there. They brought in. Craig Carton and uh, what is Carton and Roberts for two hours? They're not they're not bringing in these power. Look at MSG, what they're doing. They, they have all these betting shows and stuff like that because they know that will intrigue betters, people. And if if let's say uh, Eric Coleman is right about his parlay or his his picks throughout the week or any of these athletes or any of these guests that he has on these handicappers that are on his show do very well and bring in a good amount of revenue for these betters or these. These guys that like to bet on sports, that's how MSG is going to draw more people to watch their shows. Does SNY have anything like that? I don't think they do.
4: And they don't have all their, a lot of other live games either besides the Mets, too. They, I think they do a couple college football and college basketball games. But, like, MSG does the Rangers. They do the Islanders. They do the Sabres. I they do think, the Devils. I yeah. think the
3: YES Network has Real, Real Madrid as one of their – they have a professional soccer. They have the Yankees.
4: And I think and, they have an MLS one, too. They do one of the Red Bulls or the NFFC or something like that. They so, have yeah. – they're
3: bringing in revenue in all different areas. And they have a bunch of good shows that are on – if the Yankees aren't playing or any of those games are playing to throughout the day. So uh, there is, there is revenue building. What is the Wilpons bringing in? And that's why this has been a problem for the Wilpons for years. They couldn't, they couldn't really bring the Mets where they wanted them to be uh, over the years because they, they invested their money and uh, Bernie made off that. He ran off with their money and whatever he did, screwing them with their money. They couldn't pay their players. They couldn't bring in free agents. And that's why they had to sell the team. So, uh, Again, uh, going back to Jeff Bezos, I think Bezos eventually will buy a sports team. I just, I think right now with the deal that uh, the NFL is making uh, with Amazon in the future and possibly two, 2024, it would, I think, affect that contract or that deal that could happen in 2024, and I think that's why Bezos has decided to maybe not – make a bid for the Washington Commanders.
4: Yeah, especially if he's, like, the only investor, too. Like, he wants to invest in the NFL, and he wants to invest in another team, too. It might not be the same value overall.
3: Well, Josh Harris is the only investor into the Commanders. Yeah. He's owned the Devils. He owns the 76ers, and he wants to own a football team. Could you imagine uh, this guy owns two professional sports teams, Two two teams that are both going into the playoffs, both have rebuilt – Pretty quickly. I mean, the Devils, uh, they're going to be a good young team for many, many years to come. That is a really, really well-oiled machine. That run-oiled machine right now. The Devils are really starting to grow as an organization, as a team. Bringing Lindy Ruff in and some of these young players the Jack uses. The Timo Myers that they brought, uh, bringing in free agents or trading for. So, uh, bringing uh, Hamilton, this is this is an up and coming team, the Devils, and now the 76ers, What were they? I think they're the number three seed in the Eastern Conference. Yep. Uh, they traded for Harden. They have Joel Embiid, one of the best big men in the in the NBA. So they have and they have uh, Maxi, who's a really really good young player too. So he owns those two teams, and if he can somehow pull off bringing in the Commanders, the Commanders. They have good young players. They do. They have one of the best pass rushers in the league that missed the whole season last year. They have, uh, I don't know if they keep Ron Rivera, if uh, Josh Harris takes over that team. I think he decides to bring in his own GM and and the GM brings in his own coach. Uh, but and, and they need to find a quarterback. And it, a lot of people thought Lamar Jackson was a name that if, depending on who decides to buy that team, would make a run for Lamar Jackson, I think Lamar Jackson is heading back to Baltimore. The whole point of bringing Odell Beckham in and giving Lamar Jackson a weapon that he really has never had only draws him to want to play this year and want to go back to the Baltimore Ravens. So uh, it is an interesting story. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, when it comes to Jeff Bezos, I just don't know if he's going to make a bid for the Commanders. And usually, when you hear that from Jeff Bezos, it usually means he's not making a bid. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to NHL.com editor and host of NHL Draft Class Podcast, Adam Kimmelman, here on the Sports Loudmouths.
0: Mouse. You're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouse.
3: Six three one six seven six. What is the number again? Six three one six seven two three one oh eight. Why isn't it up here? I I don't see it. You are listening to the sports loud mouths. Check out our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including our show, the sports loud mouths, which airs every Single, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. This week, we only have a show on Wednesday this week, and we moved our show from Thursday to Tuesday. Uh, there's a reason why I am going to Florida uh, to take care of some family uh, family stuff, but uh, we will be back next week as every week, Wednesdays and Thursdays. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we had uh, Sean Moore. And guard Braden Reynolds on from FDU. And now we have our second guest, and very happy to have him on. We're now talking to NHL.com editor and host of NHL Draft Class Podcast, Adam Kimmelman. What's up, Adam? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're good, man. We haven't had you on for a year and a half. It's been a long time. Happy to have you on. How are you and your family doing uh, with the whole COVID
9: situation? Everybody's in good shape, and and, in all honesty, the big excitement now is we're just getting ready for the Stanley Cup playoffs.
3: Well, uh, that's uh, that's a big story. As uh, my Islanders are 19 minutes away from beating this really horrible Montreal Canadian team, the fact that Montreal is in this game still makes me sick to my stomach. But it, hopefully, the Islanders pull this off and and move into the playoffs. I expect them. And thank you to the Chicago Blackhawks for pulling out that win the other day. Because if they didn't, the Islanders would not be in the playoffs. But uh, uh, before we get into the playoffs. Uh, why don't we get into the draft? I mean, and this kid Connor Bedard has been everybody's—it's been on everybody's lips for the last three years. This guy has been talked about since he was 14 years old. Um, this guy has been as good and, and has been talked about as like uh, Connor McDavid when he was a 14, 15 year old, and even Sidney Crosby. Tell us a little bit about this kid. Is this kid for real?
9: And from what I've seen, and I've had the chance to see him live now a little, a couple of times. Was at the World Juniors out in Halifax back in January, when he just dazzled everybody with, you know, the the output that he had—twenty-three points in seven games. So he he's an outstanding, outstanding prospect. It's, you know, he's got the speed, he's got the head for the game, the skill set. It's just, it's off the charts. And and you mentioned Crosby, you mentioned McDavid austin matthews i would put him in that role in that spot as far as being a potential you know generational type player guy that doesn't come around very often he he has the potential look as a 17 year old he scored 70 goals in the western league this season it's pretty remarkable you look what he did in the first round of the western hockey league playoffs 20 points in seven games you know that's against Older competition, you know, he's only 17. He's probably, not only is he the best player in his draft class, he's also one of the youngest. He won't turn 18 until after the draft. So, you know, the fact that he's doing what he's doing, it's really remarkable. He has the chance to be a franchise-altering player. Mm-hmm. So
4: Connor Bedard, like you think he's going to be like the highest of the highest level. You look at somebody like Connor McDavid right now. We've seen some of the comparisons that he actually had better numbers in uh, the the league he's playing in this year than
9: Connor McDavid that year. So can you see that? You look at where Bedard kind of projects to. He projects to being, you know, a a top six forward, franchise guy that you build your your entire team around, just like he, McDavid was, just like Matthews is. You know, those are the kind of guy. That's the kind of player that he projects to be an all-star, all-world. You know, when he gets to his twenty-three, twenty-four season, like McDavid did, like you know, a guy like Austin Matthews did, they become fully formed, ready to go. And and even at eighteen, I think he has a chance to be a very good player next year. And then you're just going to see him continue to grow and get better. He does have to get stronger. I mean, look, he he's five foot ten. He's not going to. Get much bigger than that. He's never going to be, you know, a six foot five, 240 pound banger like an Eric Lindros was. But he has the speed, the skill, the vision, the head for the game that does not come around very often.
3: We are talking to NHL.com editor and host of NHL Draft Class Podcast, Adam Kimmelman. His numbers are like video game-like. It, it is crazy. I think this year he had 70-something goals or something like that and 80-something assists. I think he has like 186 points. When you look at his numbers and, and you, you, you look at his numbers in the OHL and what he has done this year, how is that going to translate when he goes into the NHL?
9: Well, I think it's going to translate to, uh, you know, you, you look at the, I think McDavid had 40 or 50 points as an 18-year-old. You can sort of use that as a benchmark. You know, McDavid wasn't the the absolute dominant player that he is now when he was 18. That part of that is because he got hurt, he broke his collarbone, he missed, I think, six or seven weeks that season. But, you know, if Bedard stays healthy, there's no reason you couldn't project him to be a 60-point player as an 18-year-old. That's the skill level that he's coming in the door with. You know, I don't know if 20 goals and 40 assists are necessarily out of the question for him, depending on... The talent around him, you know, it it, and, and then you can sort of fantasize about what team he ends up with. Like, does he land in Columbus? And could you see him playing with Johnny Gaudreau next season? Could you see him in, you know, Chicago if Jonathan Taves wants to stay there or maybe Patrick Kane wants to come back and then look what you've got there? You know, does he go to this market or that market? Like you can see the pieces fall in place when you have a talent of that level of that Bedard level around them.
4: So is there any other prospects outside of Bedard, because he's going to go number one, any other prospects you have high expectations for where they could be a star in
9: this league? Well, I, I think there's, there's four guys who are sort of at the top of everybody's draft list, and Bedard is certainly one of them. Adam Fantilli, who's a freshman at the University of Michigan, is certainly, I don't know if he's guaranteed to go number two, but if I were picking and I had the number two pick, he'd be the guy that I would want, because he has the one thing Bedard doesn't have, and it's a six foot two, hundred and ninety pound frame. So he is more of a power player. Led the NCAA in scoring as an eighteen year old freshman, which is very rare. Got Michigan to the national semifinals of the Frozen Four. He was able to really exert his will on games in a way that a lot of eighteen year old college players are not able to do. And he's a guy that if he opts to come to the NHL next season, projects to be somebody's you know number one, number two center next season. He's that good. We talked to his coach on our NHL draft class podcast, and he said there's really nothing standing between Fantilli being an NHL player next season. Obviously, you know, he's a little biased. He would love it if he came back for another season or two. But, you know, if Fantilli were to tell him after the draft, I'm going pro, he wouldn't be surprised, nor would he think there'd be anything an NHL team would absolutely want him in their lineup at the start of next season. You've got him. You've got Matt bain is playing for Sochi in the Continental Hockey League. I heard a lot
3: about that kid. I've heard a lot well, about a, him.
9: On a skill basis, he is as close to Bedard on a skill basis as any other player in the draft. The question with Mitchkov is, when will you be able to put him in your lineup? When will you be able to get him out of the KHL? I believe he signed for at least another two years. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, depending on if he wants to stay longer, if he feels like he's ready to come over, you know, two more years, he's 20, 21 years old. Maybe he thinks he needs more time before he's NHL-ready, similar to how, you know, Igor Shostakhin stayed over in Russia longer, Ilya Sorokin, Kirill Kaprizov, they stayed over in Russia until their, I believe they're 24, 25 seasons. So, you know, when can you get him over? And then Leo Carlson, who's playing for orebro in the Swedish Hockey League, you know, had an outstanding season again as an 18-year-old, playing against fully-developed, physically-developed men and had a, I think he had a 17-goal, 40-point season playing in the Swedish Hockey League. So one of those four guys, if you can add them to your group, gives you a huge advantage as, as you're building. Because the teams that are going to be picking in those spots, they're building, they're in the phase of building up to become playoff contenders, Stanley Cup contenders. These guys are foundational players that will be a big part of, of when your team gets good. If you build it the right way, those guys have the chance to be foundational players Top line players.
3: We are talking to NHL.com editor and host of NHL Draft Class podcast, Adam Kimmelman. Adam, we we've been speaking to a lot of different NHL analysts and writers for hockey, and Will Smith is a guy that I have read about throughout the last year and a half. A center plays for the United States team. Tell us a little bit about what you know about him. He has a lot of size. He has a lot of ability. Very good with his hands. Uh, What? is who does he remind you of as far as what you know and what you've seen of him and, and what type of player could he be in the NHL?
9: Well, you know, it's funny. You mention him as I'm looking at, you know, the top, my, you know, the little ranking board that I have, you know, from, for me, Williams, Will Smith is number five on my list. So right outside of that, that big four of Bedard, Fantilli, Mitchkov, and Carlson, I have Will Smith, just a, just a great skater, a great skater, not a big guy, but he's willing to battle and, and, get into the dirty areas of the ice, you know, love the vision, love the passing ability. He's got a great shot. He can beat goalies from a distance, you know, quick hands, great playmaker, real good on face-offs, which you don't see a lot of at that age where he's, you know, a guy who can win, win those battles in the face-off circle. There are little details in the game that, but they add up and they're very important. So, you know, he's got great puck skills, really moves well with it on his stick, very elusive you know he's uh, he has a chance to be a really nice player, really nice player. I've really been impressed. There are a few guys from that that U.S. men's national U.S. national team program that I think are going to be really good players. You have got Will Smith, you've got Ryan Leonard, Gay um and uh, Oliver Moore. All four of those guys going to be first round picks, going to be high picks, maybe top twenty even. All project to be really good NHL players.
3: Well, he's not that small. He's, he's I think he's. Uh, he's at six foot one, and he still has a chance to get a little bit bigger. And Connor McDavid, when he came out of the draft, I think he was like six one and a half, six two, and he, he's now six three. So it, Connor, uh, uh, you look at Bedard. Bedard is five ten, five eleven at best. I don't know how much bigger he's going to get, but uh, uh, Will Smith could be six two, six three. Uh, somebody like Connor McDavid, and if he has that kind of size and that kind of ability, like you said, skating ability, he could turn out to be a really, really good player.
9: What I, what I think you want to see with a guy like Smith, and, and it goes for pretty much everybody in this draft, you want to see him get bigger and get stronger. And that's mm-hmm. one of the advantages have the U.S. national team programs have. It's a weekend league, for the most part, that they play. Their games are mostly on the weekend. So you have Monday through Thursday, pretty much, to be in the gym, getting stronger, working on your skills, but just adding muscle to their frame. Same thing when they go to college. It's a huge advantage to... You know, yes, Bedard's playing closer to an NHL-type schedule, 68 or 72 games in the Western Hockey League with travel. But when you play college hockey and you play on the weekends, you have that extra opportunity to get bigger, get stronger. And that's what kind of separates these guys as far as how much quicker they're able to hit their full development. Because if you can show up in the NHL as, you know, a guy who is, doesn't look like a string bean, a guy who, who looks physically developed, it's going to give you a little bit of an advantage because so much of the game is played winning one-on-one battles, winning battles on the wall, digging pucks out of corners, digging pucks out of traffic, being strong on your stick, being strong at the net. You can have that advantage, have that natural built-in physical strength. When you get to the NHL, it's a huge advantage rather than trying to put it on either in season or between seasons. If you have a short summer, you know, having that advantage of being able to do it in season it's a huge benefit to the kids in the NCAA, as well as the U.S. national team program.
4: So I'll go the reverse here. A prospect that a lot of people are high on that maybe you're
9: not as high on. Um, you know, it's really hard to say because, uh, you know, so many, there's so much talent in this draft. There's so many guys that, you know, outside of that top four, I personally like Will Smith in that, in that five spot. Some people really like Braden Yeager from the Western Hockey League. Zach Benz is another one. You know, Dalibor Dvorsky, the, the, the Slovakian center. You know, Andrew Crystal plays in Cologne in the Western League. Colby Barlow, who was a 40-goal scorer in the Ontario Hockey League. There are, There's just so much dynamic, skilled talent at the forward position, especially, that, you know, you you're going to go through the top 20 and say, God, that guy's a really good player. How did he last this long? There's a lot of guys like that. It's an incredibly deep incredibly talented crop of players.
3: We are talking to NHL.com editor and host of NHL Draft Class Podcast, Adam Kimmelman. Adam, let's get into the NHL and the playoffs. Uh, The the Eastern Conference is so wide open still. Going into tonight, uh, the Islanders, all they need is a tie uh, to make the playoffs. Pittsburgh really hurt themselves after losing against the Blackhawks the other day. And Florida, they're in already. After uh, tying, uh, well, Getting uh, getting a point the other day, uh, they have 92 points, so they're automatically in the playoffs. They still have one more game left. What what were your thoughts over the last couple of weeks, especially the way the Florida Panthers have been playing, uh, getting healthy at the end of the season and playing as well as they have, and how how the Islanders have played without Barzell since February?
9: Well, I think it's really impressive, and and the way the Islanders have really pulled together in a way that I didn't know if they were capable of doing when you see a guy, the talent level of a Matthew Barzell goes out of the lineup. You know, I had the conversation with Keith Jones who does TNT broadcast and, and flyers broadcast a few years ago. And, you know, he played with Eric Lindros on those flyers teams in the, in the late 90s, Legion early 2000s, of
3: Legion of doom. I mean,
9: Le- that's right. And there was a, 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 you know, when they played the devils in the playoffs in 2000, Eric came back from a couple of concussion issues And Flyers were up three games and two in that series. When Lindros came back, they immediately lost the next two games. They lost the series. So why did that happen when they got their best player back in the lineup? Well, when that best player goes out, everybody else has to step up. And everybody else did step up. And you could see that with that Flyers team. You could see that with this Islanders team. But when that number one guy comes back, there's a tendency to say, okay, the Sheriff has ridden into town. He's got it. And maybe he doesn't have it. And maybe – you know, the the a team that when a Barzell or a Lindros comes back in, they there's that tendency to kind of sit back a little bit, and knowing your superstar is back, he can handle it. But without that superstar, everybody's got to step up. Everybody's got to pull a little bit more, pull a little bit harder on the rope. And I think that's what the Islanders are doing now. Whether it's a a Bo Horvat, a Brock Nelson, you know, go up and down that lineup, guys are doing more. They've elevated their game. Because Barzell's not in the lineup. Now, what they have to continue to do, however, is when Barzell comes back, they can't lower their level because he's coming in. They have to keep pulling and then get him to pull along with them. That's going to be the key for the Islanders.
4: So the Bruins obviously have the most points in the league right now. Most
3: points ever.
4: Yeah. Very much. They're going to get to that most points ever. And we saw that uh, four years ago, we saw a very similar type of season with the Tampa Bay lightning. They had all those massive points and then they lost in the first round to the blue jackets. Do you think the Bruins could be vulnerable? And if so, which team do you think has the best chance of knocking them off?
9: You know, that's a great question. It was something I was sort of going over in my own head. Who could beat them? There are, you know, I think they're absolutely the Bruins are beatable because I think what you see with Boston is they're a deep team, but a lot of their core guys are on the wrong side of 30. You know, whether it's a Bergeron, a Marchand, Krejci, they have some key really important guys who are a little bit older and the grind of four seven-game playoff series, it's going to wear on them a little bit. And the other part of it is, Linus Olmark has had a fantastic regular season. He's never done it in the playoffs, and the spotlight will be brighter on him than it will be maybe on anybody else in the playoffs because of the way they played this season. 64 wins, you know, most wins ever, most points ever. Expectations are going to be Stanley Cup or bust. How will he handle the inevitable dip when the playoffs start? You know, because nobody goes 4-0, 4-0, 4-0, 4-0 through the playoffs to win the Cup. Just doesn't happen. There's going to be losses. There's going to be down moments. How does he handle them? How does that team handle them? You know, I I think Tampa Bay would be a really interesting matchup against Boston because Mm -hmm. they have that baked-in knowledge of how to win. No situation is ever going to be too big for that core group. I think Toronto-Boston would be a lot of fun as well because that Maple Leafs group is really, really talented. The matchup that I would really be interested in, though, is the New Jersey Devils against the Bruins. Because the Devils play at a at, at such a high pace. Could the Bruins one could they keep up with them? I don't know of any team in the league that can keep up from a from a pace perspective with the Devils or would they be able to slow New Jersey down? I don't know. It's it's an interesting it would be an interesting matchup if the Devils are able to get there. If the Devils are able to straighten out their goaltending, I think a New Jersey Boston series would be a lot of fun and a very interesting chess match to see who's able to control the play and, and and play the game their way, their style.
1: Pittsburgh's
3: been consistent, making the playoffs almost every single year. And this year could be the first time in a very long time they don't make the playoffs. Is this the end of the the dynasty of... Sidney Crosby and Malkin and Latang. do they decide in the offseason to move one of these players or two of these players and rebuild?
9: No, because I think they had that option this summer. They could have decided that they were going to change course and not sign Malkin, not sign Latang, and they opted to sign those guys for long-term, I think four-year contracts each, timed out with Crosby's con- with, with whatever's left on Crosby's contract, I think the key for, you know, those guys, Crosby and Malkin especially, have been outstanding this season. The problem has been the guys around them and the issues in goal. They need to figure out what they want to do in goal. Tristan Jari is a very good goalie, but the best ability is availability, and -hmm. he's just not available enough. He's never proven that he can stay healthy and be productive. When he's there, he's pretty good, but he's just not there enough. And the problem this season was when he wasn't there, they did not have a capable, competent backup to pick up the slack. And there were too many nights, like the other night against Chicago, where they allow those two goals late, and they just don't have it in them to come back. So they need more from more guys. They certainly need better goaltending. They need to get deeper on defense. It can't just be Latang and Dumoulin on their top pair, and then you just sort of hope for the best with the other guys. You know, they have some other depth scoring there with, you know, a guy like Jake Gensel, a guy like Brian rust, but you know, they need more from more guys. It can't just be the Sid and Gino show. Like it's been for the last 15 years, they need more from more guys and they didn't get it. They haven't gotten it this season. And the fact that they're still, you know, pushing for a playoff spot to me, we did our internal balloting for the trophy for the, for the big, you know, NHL tro NHL awards. We don't have an official vote. But we do our own internal voting. For me, Sidney Crosby was number two on my ballot for the Hart Trophy as the MVP, right behind Connor McDavid. I think he's been outstanding this season. I think Evgeny Malkin has been outstanding this season, 80 points after, you know, it looks like he's finally healthy from all the knee problems that he had. Those guys have been great. They just need more help, and they haven't gotten enough help. from enough guys. Could they bring help? They team. have a
3: lot of money invested in Sidney Crosby and Malkin and Latang. There's a lot of money invested in these three players. Could they go out and bring in another player to help them out? I don't know if they can.
9: Well, I don't know if they necessarily need another superstar on that level. I think what they need to do is stabilize their goaltending. They need to make a decision. If Jerry is their guy, then they need to find a better backup then Casey DeSmith, who, you know, is a, is a nice person, but he was just, he was really disappointing for them this season. It was something they probably should have addressed last summer. They chose not to, it's certainly something they should have. They should have, they needed to address ahead of the trade line trade deadline this year. And they didn't for whatever reason. I, I don't know if maybe there was a salary cap issue there, but they couldn't get that addressed. So now they were stuck with what they're stuck with, but it's a big issue for them going into the summer. If that needs to be priority number one for Ron Hextall, the general manager there, to figure out what they're going to do in goal, how are they going to handle it. Is Tristan Jari the guy moving forward? And if he is, what do you do for a backup? Because they absolutely need to improve in that area.
4: So, Toronto, everyone knows about their playoff drought. They have not won a first-round playoff series since 2003. Mm. And this year, they uh, they added a little more defense than they usually did. Trading for Eric Gustafson, uh, Luke Shen at the trade deadline. Usually, they just go for one flashy defenseman and has it worked for
3: them. They had a great trade deadline. Yeah,
4: and obviously, we know how much offensive talent. Is this finally the year for the Leafs, or you still think they're missing something?
9: Again, it's going to come down to the goaltending. I, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but you know, is Ilya Samsonov enough to be... Look, they're going to have to play the Tampa Bay Lightning in net. And where are the Lightning going to have their biggest advantage in goal? When you've got a two-time Stanley Cup champion in Andre Vasilevsky, he's been to the final three straight years. You know, nothing phases that guy. In a big money, big moment situation, you know exactly what he's going to do, and he's going to deliver. You don't know that about Ilya Samsonov. I think he's 1-8 in playoff games. You know, that's not, a, that's not a, the kind of resume you want to put your house on. However, he's been good this season. The Leafs in front of him have been very good. And if Ryan O'Reilly can get healthy and be the player he was, you know, maybe back to 2019 when he was the con Smythe winners, the playoff MVP for St. Louis, how he was before he had the broken finger, you know, a couple of weeks ago, if he's able to get back to being that level of production, you know, you only need average goaltending. You don't need stellar stand on your head, you know, Marty Burdur level goaltending. You just got to make one more save than the other guy. Make that one big save to turn the momentum. You don't need to make every save, but you got to make the big saves in the big moments. You know, Vasilevsky can do it. We're going to find out. if Ilya like Samsonov can do it coming up here.
3: We are talking to NHL.com editor and host of NHL draft class podcast, Adam Kimmelman, uh, Adam, Adam, The Rangers, okay? It it seems like uh, a lot of people thought that the Rangers going into the season were going to be the second seed. Uh, Nobody expected the the New Jersey Devils to have the season they have. Uh, Right now, they have arguably the best defenseman in the NHL in Hamilton, having a fantastic year. uh, The the way he's really taken this team defensively uh, to higher heights this year. But the Rangers this year, after making the moves for Patrick Kane, making the moves for uh Sanko, everybody expects them to be a contender this year, bringing in two offensive players that have played very well in the playoffs. Is this enough to go into the playoffs this year and make a run?
9: Oh, I think they absolutely have the talent to get back to the, at least Eastern conference final, which they did last year. You know, Shesterkin looks like he's found his game at the right time, maybe a little bit of a bumpy start, but he seems like the guy that we remember from last season, to me, you know, you mentioned Dougie Hamilton. I look at the group of six that the Rangers have back on the blue line, and, uh, you know, I think KeAndre Miller is going to win an Norris Trophy at some point in his career. He's that good, so big, so strong, skates beautifully, you know, just a wonderful player. Adam Fox, kind of the same thing, just, you know, about five inches shorter. <laughs> but, um, you know, you look what they have there with, with Fox and Lindgren and Miller and Truba and Braden Schneider. Uh, you know, Schneider, I think, is a guy who – you know doesn't get the ice time he maybe would on another team but those five guys man that's an outstanding core of defensemen and you know i really like what they have there then you look at what they have up front and i think they're still maybe trying to figure out how all those pieces best fit obviously they love the kid line with kako and Heedle and, and lafreniere and those guys have done great together you know who ends up playing with panarin who ends up playing with you know Kreider and zibanejad and and how the other two top two lines, uh, you know, kind of come together with Kane, with Tarasenko. Looks like they'll probably end up playing New Jersey in the first round. That'll be a lot of fun. I think that series will be, you know, the, the, the New York Metro rivalry, you know, three, you know, a couple of games in the Garden, a couple of games in Newark. You know, the fans are going to travel because it's only a quick train ride away. So that's going to be – that has the potential to be a very, very entertaining series
4: as the Rangers fans like to call it, revenge for 11 years ago when the Devils knocked him off in the Eastern Conference Finals. So uh, one bold playoff prediction that you have for this season.
9: Oh, goodness. Um, You know, I I don't know how bold it is, but I don't think the Boston Bruins are going to win the Stanley Cup. All (laughs) right, You know, I'll I'll say this. As good as the Eastern Conference has been, I think the best team in the Western Conference is the Edmonton Oilers. Hmm. I think they're going to be the team that comes out of the West. I don't know who they're going to play in the, in, from the East yet, but I'm going, to, I'm going to go with the Edmonton Oilers as far as the team that's going to be in the Stanley Cup final from the Western Conference. I think they have, you know, and it's not just McDavid and Drysdale, although they are obviously going to be the guys driving the bus. I think they finally seem to have found the goaltender who can make the big save in the big moment in Stuart Skinner. And, and, and he has really been a huge difference maker for them. Going, you know, he was the rookie of the month for March. He set an Oilers record for most wins by a goalie in a month in March. You know, he's flying. They've won eight in a row. They got a chance to maybe even pass Vegas and finish first in the division. I don't know if it me. I don't know if that matters as much, but you know, as as much confidence as they can take going into the playoffs, they got to the Western conference final last season. And I think that's been a target for them all along. There's some anger and some hunger there, you know, one of my, my colleague Mike Zeisberger had a great three part one on one series with Connor McDavid, and, and nobody gets McDavid one on one, but Zeiss was able to do it. And he talks about how far they got last year and how that just sort of lit the fuse for them to be even hungrier for this season, to go farther, to do more. They got close, but it wasn't enough. They want to do more, they want to go farther. And when you have the talent, when you have a, a, the talent of a Connor McDavid, and the drive that he has to be even better than he's ever been, I would not bet against him, and I wouldn't want to have to try to stop him in a seven-game series. So, yeah, that'll, that'll, I'll, I'll let that stand as my bold prediction. The Edmonton Oilers are going to reach a Stanley Cup final this year.
3: So you have Edmonton and who you have coming out of the East?
9: You know, that's a great question. There's a lot of different directions you can go there. You know, until somebody in the East shows me they can beat Tampa Bay four times in a seven-game series, I might have to still say the Tampa Bay lightning and they look vulnerable. They've lost four games in a row, you know, but regular season for them is the regular season. Their, their season's going to start come April 17th when the playoffs start. And, you know, they've drawn the Tampa Bay light. They've they've drawn the Toronto Maple Leafs. They know what's coming. They know what they're going to have to do. Can they marshal it up for one more big run? They've been to the final now three straight years. Can they do it one more time? I don't know. It's going to be interesting, but I, I, I have a feeling that the winner of that series, the winner of that Toronto Tampa Bay series could be the team that gets to the Stanley cup final from wow. the East. It's, you know, I, I'm not a hundred. I got to look, dig into it a little bit more because it's, there's so many, you know, you can make a case probably for six of the six of the eight teams that are going to get in that you could say, yeah, that's a Stanley cup final team. That's a, that's a potential championship team. Carolina, Jersey, the Rangers, Boston, Toronto, Tampa, you can make a really, really good argument for any of those six teams to say they're going to get to the, they're going to get to the Stanley cup final.
3: I think it's going to be a huge surprise because there are other teams. I mean, Florida could sneak in and, and be a team to beat. I mean, they have good goaltending. Uh, they have good offense. Uh, they have a very good defensive um, you know tandem over there. So, I, I still think Florida, and who knows? And I'm an Islander fan. The Islanders look like they're going to win. They have a hot goalie like Sorokin. Maybe they make a run with Barzell coming back. Who knows? Hockey is so fun to watch because you can never predict what's going to happen.
9: Well, that's it. And, and you're exactly right. Sorokin, you know, he gets red hot. He's a guy who's capable of winning a playoff series all by himself. And whether it's Boston they end up drawing, whether it's Carolina, you know, that is absolutely a, a thing that could happen. And Bobrovsky is is capable of stealing a playoff series the same way. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if he can do it four times in a seven game series, and then do it again, and then do it again, just to get to the just to get to the Eastern Conference Final. By the way,
3: the Islanders just clinched a playoff spot, winning four to two against the Montreal Canadiens in the final game of the season. So congratulations to the New York Islanders, Adam. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll get you on uh during the playoffs to hear your thoughts and and maybe uh you be maybe you're going to be right. Maybe uh there are teams out there uh like you were saying the Edmonton Oilers that could make it to the Stanley Cup finals. The only thing that I worry about with the Stanley Cup finals and and the going through Edmonton is the goaltending. You say Skinner is having uh is going to have a very good playoff run. Maybe that could be a transition of, of, of Stanley cup contending team. They did make it to the Western conference finals last year with bad goaltending. So anything is possible with that offense.
9: Well, that's it all. You, you don't need, you don't need Marty Verdeur from, from 1993 or from 2003. You just need to make that one momentum saving cha- mo- one momentum changing save. And, and that's all you need that you can allow two, three in a game, but you got to make the big saves in the big spots. And I think they're I think Skinner is capable of doing that and the Oilers are one of the few teams capable of outscoring any mistakes that they do make on the defensive end. No question that they can. I think it's like the uh, Flames-Oilers series last year.
4: We definitely saw that. I mean, you, when, well, you, for you, sure. you know,
3: when you have yeah. two of the best offensive players in the whole league, actually, you probably have the two best offensive players on the same team, on the same line. It's pretty incredible. They're fun to watch. There's no question that they are. Uh, Adam, thank you.
9: Absolutely. Anytime, guys.
3: Keep up the good work over there at NHL.com too, man. Great, uh, all the stuff that you're editing over there is fantastic.
9: Yeah, it's it's fun, and and this is the big time of the year for us. We're going to start rolling out our our playoff preview stuff coming up very soon. Not to mention, you know, we got the draft to build towards, mm-hmm. and that's something I take a a large hand in myself and Mike Morial, who does the, the NHL draft class podcast with me. You know, we're going to be we're going to be cranking that show up again. Uh, I believe we're going to go. A uh, week from Friday, we're going to have Dan Mar on to uh, discussing. He's a director of NHL Central Scouting. Mm-hmm. We've already had Connor Bedard on our show. We've had Braden Yeager on our show. We've had a number. Uh, we had Michigan coach Brandon Urato on our show to talk about Adam Fantilli and his teammate Gavin Brindley, another potential first round draft pick. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you can listen to our podcast anywhere you get your podcast free and easy to subscribe to Apple and, and Google and, and Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast NHL draft class is there for you. So, and we're going to have more of those guys as we move forward here, we're going to have all the scouts from NHL central scouting on and, and some other pretty cool guests that uh, as we get closer to the scouting combine, and then the draft itself in Nashville on June 28th and 29th.
3: If you want to know anything, anything about the draft must listen to NHL draft class podcast. With Adam Kimmelman, fantastic, Adam. Thank you so much.
9: My pleasure, guys. Anytime,
3: Adam Kimmelman. He he's fantastic. Speedy.
9: Mm.
3: We we get a lot of these NHL uh, you know uh, specialists when it comes to just not analysts, the guys that specialize in just hockey, NHL stuff. And he he's one of the best. Uh, we've yeah. had over the last I would say six weeks, we've had about four or five guys that talk NHL hockey. And uh, we had one the other day as well, and he's fantastic. Adam is really, really good, and yeah. uh, he gave us so much insight of what's going on in the draft, some of these players to watch, uh, and, and like I said, this kid Will Smith. I everybody keeps talking about Connor Bedard and and all you know the the three or top four top prospects, but this guy I've been reading that he could be one of those guys that could be turn out to be the best player in this year's draft. Mm-hmm. And he's not small. He says he's like he's a little undersized. I, I, he's like six foot, six foot one. And and remember, when Conor McDavid came into the league, he was six one and a half. Right. Now he's six three. So he will get bigger. I, the only thing that I say about Conor Bedard that scares me about the kid, he has a tremendous amount of ability. He can score. He can do everything. They even, he even has his own shot. They call it the Bedard shot. So And everybody's trying to do it. You go on TikTok, you go on Snapchat, everybody's trying to do it. What is so amazing about this kid is it's the fact that he isn't that big and he's so elusive and he's so fast and he's got tremendous hands. What makes him special is his hands. And, and when you find a guy that could score 50, 60 goals in a season, I think in all the different leagues he's played in this year, he's got like 70-something goals yeah. and like 80-something assists, 186 points of some cra- some crazy number or something like that. It's like a video game. So... Uh, he is a fabulous player wherever he goes. Chicago, anybody? Uh, who who are the lead teams to get him? It was Columbus
4: and, and Chicago, and I think it was Anaheim in the West right now that are Columbus,
3: Anaheim, and Chicago. I would like to see him go to Chicago. That's where I because your Jonathan Tames is probably retiring. Yeah, Patrick Kane is no longer there. He's with the Rangers. Could be somewhere else. I, I want to see the next guy to take that organization, take that franchise uh, to higher heights. And and why not Connor Bedard? A big city, a big hockey city. It would be fun to watch him grow over there in Chicago.
4: Yeah, right now Columbus has the least points, 57. Then it's Chicago and Anaheim are right now tied, 58. The Sharks have 60, and Montreal has 68.
3: I Don't be surprised fight. if Montreal wins I know, it. I've
4: said that the whole time. They love to rig-, they rig the draft sometimes. I'll even say that as a Ranger fan. There was a year I thought they were rigged it for the Rangers, too. And the Kings, I think a couple teams have gotten some kind of special treatment. Don't be surprised if they do it for Montreal. They're uh, darlings of the
3: past. Max Scherzer says he admits to struggling with the pitch clock. And I've been saying this over and over again. And again, when you're so used to doing something over and over and over and over again, this is what happens. You've been doing... uh, Max Scherzer's been in the league for what? 16 years? 15 years? He's been doing this every single game. Holding on to the ball for 20 seconds. 25 seconds. uh, Because he's trying to... You know, grab the you know grab the seam or whatever he's trying to do. Uh, I don't know what he's doing, but I don't understand some of these pitchers standing at the mound holding on to the ball for 30 seconds. So uh, Max Scherzer has admit he has admitted that this pitch clock has affected him. Where actually he right he says um, the clock is fast. Where where I actually lose track of the clock. The most is the start at the bat. That's where I'm struggling right now. Scherzer has had a rocky uh, has had rocky innings at the end of all three of his starts in the beginning of the season. Scherzer, despite pitching a scoreless game against the Padres Monday, only lasted five innings in the game. of Of the fourteen pitchers that have pitched for the Mets this season. Nine of them have had an ERA over four. The Mets have been without starter Justin Verlander and Jose Catana to begin the season. Scherzer is on his second year of his three-year contract, averaging $43.3 million per year. He has a player option for next season. All it tells me, and I've said this, Speedy, Max Scherzer is getting old. Justin Verlander had a Cy Young la- year last year. He also played on the Astros with a great pitching staff, but with a great young pitching staff. And when you're the fifth guy every five days and you have to worry about some of those, those studs that you have to pitch against every other day, you're not thinking about Justin Verlander. And, and Justin Verlander, did he pitch well in the playoffs last year? Not really. No, it was kind of streaky. Yeah, he he really didn't pitch very well in the playoffs, and that's because you're playing against the best hitting in the league. When you go into the playoffs, every other every other five days that you're pitching, you're you could be pitch you could be pitching against some of the worst some of the worst offensive teams in a league.
4: Yeah, from Valdez and Christian Javier outperform Verlander in the postseason. So uh, you're right. Consistency is very key, and I wonder if that same kind of thing is going to happen with Verlander. He hasn't really had an attestant with it yet.
3: Here's the thing: the Mets have an old rotation with Jose Katana being 35, going to be 36 years years old, Justin Verlander, who's 40 and Max Scherzer this year will be 39 years old. You have a senior citizen pitching staff now in regular human years. They're young. I mean, Verlander 40 years old. He's, but in baseball years, that's like 70 years old. So As good as he was last year, I know Mets fans want to believe they have a Cy Young guy, and he's better than Jacob deGrom is right now. And Jacob deGrom hasn't pitched well with the Texas Rangers this year. He hasn't. What I will say is, I would rather a 33-year-old Jacob deGrom Than a forty year old Justin Verlander.
4: Yeah, especially with the adjustments that some of these older pitchers are going to have to make. It's the biggest hit so far with the pitch clock. And it's not just you're like you're saying it's just not it's not just Max Scherzer. It's just a lot of older pitchers in general. Whereas we've seen a lot of younger pitchers really strive to start the season. Carl was talking about yesterday in the feed Mm -hmm. about Shane McClanahan, how well he's pitched for the race so far this year. And again, he had a great year last year too, but still these guys have had more experience being able to adjust to that. And we've seen a lot of these pitchers have Quick releases because of that, too, w- even with their off speed pitches, too. And that's something that worries me with Quintana, especially because he has a very awkward release as it is with his pitching. And like you're saying, he's a very older pitcher. He's been injury prone in the past, too. And he's very streaky year to year as it is, too. And Scherzer, he has a very big release point for a guy that's a big guy as well. And he's going to have to find a way to adjust that kind of thing, too. Maybe kind of like you where you're seeing with CC Sabathia later in his career, too, where he had to kind of dip the velocity down, but not to the same extent because Scherzer still gets got a lot of velocity, but still needs to get that kind of. Of, uh, adjustment with his re- uh, release points.
3: Congratulations to the New York Islanders as they clinched a playoff spot. The Penguins are officially eliminated from the playoffs. So Sidney Crosby and Malkin, but everybody calls him Malkin, but I call him Malky. Um, Malky and Mister Latang are now out of the playoffs. Uh, they can start packing their bags or packing themselves up to the golf course and playing some golf uh, this off season. But uh, you will not see the Pittsburgh Penguins in the playoffs this year. But uh, congratulations to the uh, Lambert, his first year making the playoffs as the head coach of the New York Islanders. Now, uh, depending on what happens on Thursday night, uh, Florida and Carolina, if Carolina beats Florida, the the Islanders would be the first wildcard team mm-hmm. and the Florida Panthers will be the second wildcard team, Which which means Florida would play Boston and the Islanders would play Carolina. Now, if the Panthers beat or even – tie against Carolina or get a point against Carolina on Thursday night, they would get the the first wild card spot and they would be matched up against Carolina, the same team that they end the season with. And the Islanders would be matched up against the Boston Bruins. So uh, it all depends on tomorrow. We all know who are the final two teams in the Eastern Conference that are going to make the playoffs now. It is the Islanders and the Florida Panthers. So this is the first time in, I would say, over 20 years that the Islanders, the Rangers, and the Devils make the playoffs yeah. in one season. Yeah, definitely not in my
4: lifetime. Because when the Islanders
3: started heating up
4: this decade or the, this past decade, the Devils were not as good. And then the Islanders and Devils both made it five years Just ago. Just think about Rangers it. Good. The,
3: the 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 notion or the the thought that one of these three teams could go to the Stanley Cup finals. You have three out of eight, three out of eight chance that one of these teams could go to the Stanley Cup finals. Yep, in the metropolitan the metropolitan area.
4: Josh says, I need a Jeff versus Errol matchup next week. (laughs) And Jeff responds, uh, he doesn't want any of that smoke. Uh, Josh says, longest playoff appearance, 16 straight years for Pittsburgh. Yes, it was the first time since 06-07 they missed the playoffs. So then they went to -to back-to-back Stanley Cup. And we
3: can thank, and the Islanders could thank the Chicago Blackhawks for pulling off that win the other day and knocking the Pittsburgh Penguins out of playoff contention. So uh, if it... If you're an Islander fan, you should be happy, but don't be too happy because we don't know when Barzell is coming back. If Barzell is coming back, he has not played since February. They need Barzell in the playoffs, especially against the Boston Bruins. If they don't have Barzell in that series, they don't stand a chance okay and that's all i'm going to say about that but uh, i don't know if they're going to be matched up against boston there's still a chance uh right now that they as of right now they're matched up against carolina
4: and there's also a chance too if the hurricanes lose in regulation or if the panthers lose in regulation or if the Hurricanes beat Lutes. the Panthers yeah, in overtime, maybe the Devils even surpass them too. So it could be it could be the Panthers and the Devils in the first round, and the Hurricanes play the Rangers too. That's always a possibility. And then the Islanders will play the Bruins. But
3: that doesn't matter. We're we're talking about the Islanders and the and the Florida Panthers. We're not talking about the Devils, we're not talking about the Rangers.
4: Uh, the... Josh says I will actually, I I mean I do think Boston would absolutely drub them. I say five games. Tristan Char is still doing the Islanders' favors. Yes, that sounds mm. about
3: right. I don't know about that, but anyways. Um uh, the Panthers have now clinched the playoff spot, as we just said, so uh, that that we already went over. And now let's go into uh, this week, well, tonight's bracket wars, as we have the number seven seed Steelers of the two thousands with Palomalu and uh, you know Ferrier, all the different players, and yes, Ben Roethlisberger and uh, those great teams versus the number ten seed Astros of the two thousand tens. Well. 2010 to 2020 season, uh, and the number six seed, the San Francisco Giants of 2010 and up, against the number eleven seed Washington football team of the 80s and the 90s. Speedy, let's go. Yep, here we go. It's time for brackets. 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 It's time it's for wars.
4: Bracket, bracket wars. wars. All right, we'll start with the Steelers and the Astros matchup. The Steelers are the number seven seed, like you were saying, against the number 10 seed, Houston Astros. So the Astros span all the way from 2000, it's 2010 to now, 2015 to now, and the Steelers I did from 2001 to 2009. And with, actually what's kind of interesting about both these teams is the way they've been kind of like just well-oiled machines in their respective sports. The Steelers, we talk about it all the time, they – Draft a receiver, then they'll drop him, and then they'll draft a new guy right away. And the same kind of thing with their linebackers and their defense. And the Astros have done the same kind of thing with their pitching, too. They lose Garrett Cole. They lose Zach Grinke, and all of a sudden, they're getting somebody else to replace him right away. They lose Justin Verlander. So far, they've started off slow, but they haven't missed a beat yet.
3: Yeah, the number 7 seed, 2000 Steelers. 2001 season, they were 13-3. and That was their record, number one seed in the AFC, lost in the AFC Championship against the Patriots. In 2002 season, they were 10-5-1, their record. They were the number three seed in the AFC, lost in the divisional round against the Titans. In 2003 season, they were 6-10 record. They missed the playoffs. 2004 season, they were 15-1 record. They had a 15-1 record. That was the first year of Ben Roethlisberger, number one seed in the AFC, lost in the AFC Championship, game against the Patriots in 2005 season. Season, they were eleven and five, number six seed in the AFC. Beat the Bengals, beat the Colts, beat the Broncos in the playoffs, and then beat the Seahawks in Super Bowl forty. Then two thousand six season, they were eight and eight record, missed the playoffs. Two thousand seven season, they were ten and six. Uh, that was their record. Number four seed in the AFC, lost against the Jaguars in the wild card. Round. And in 2008 season, they were 12 and 4, number two seed in the AFC, beat the Chargers, Ravens in the playoffs, and beat the Cardinals in Super Bowl 43. Key players Troy Palomalu, one of the best safeties of all time. James Ferrier, we all know him as a Jet. Uh, the Jets decided to uh, let him go. He goes to the Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers have become one of the best linebackers in the league. James Harrison, a beast of a man. Has anybody seen his workouts? He is absolutely unbelievable. This guy's benching 550 pounds 10 times. Uh, right now at his age. It, it's unbelievable. Ben Roethlisberger winning two Super Bowls, Hall of Fame. Everybody remembers him. The year when he was drafted with Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers and then obviously Tony Romo who was undrafted. But that draft class was one of the better draft class we've seen over the last 25 years when it comes to quarterbacks. J- Jerome Bettis, the boss, uh, he was fantastic. He was the face of the Pittsburgh Steelers for many, many years before Ben Roethlisberger came to this team. So, And then Heinz Ward, who who was really gutsy tough, wide receiver, borderline Hall of Famer, and was a big part of the organization for about 10 years. So Great Steelers team. Won two Super Bowls in about nine years. And again, a lot of guys at key positions too.
4: You're talking about the wide receivers. It's still being so deep even when Hines Ward retired too. They still brought in great cores. They had Heath Miller at a long time at tight end. They had a good offensive line throughout that entire process. And their secondary was always good. And the thing I like a lot about the Steelers is their coaching too. They went from Bill Cowher to Mike Tomlin. They didn't miss a beat. And Dick LeBeau on the defense too was one of the Best defensive coordinators for a long time, and that gave a big advantage, even when losing some players later on with the Steelers on the on that defense that won Super
3: Bowl 43. So yeah, so the so we have the Steelers right there. And now uh, the number 10 seed of 2010's Astros. 2015 season, 86 and 76 regular season. Uh, that was their record. They were the fifth best record in the American League. Beat the Yankees in the Wild Card Game. Lost against the Royals in the ALDS in 2016 season. They were 84 and 78. That was their record. Missed the playoffs in 2017 season. They were 101 and 61 record. Second best in the American League. Beat the Red Sox and the Yankees in the playoffs, and then uh, the the Dodgers in the World Series. In 2018 season, they were 103 and 59 record. Second best record in the American League beat the Indians in the ALDS lost against the Red Sox in the AL- ALCS. In 2019 season they were 107 and 55. That was a record. Best record in the American League beat the Rays and the Yankees in the playoffs, lost in the Nationals uh, against the Nationals in the World Series. In 2020 season the COVID shortened season they were 29 and 31. That was a record. 6 best in the American League, beat the Twins and the Athletics in the playoffs, and then lost against the Rays in the ALCS. 2021 season, 95-67, regular season record, second best in the American League, beat the White Sox and the Red Sox in the playoffs, lost against the Braves in the World Series, and then in 2002 season, last year, 106-56 rec- regular season record. Best record in the American League, beat the Mariners, beat the Yankees in the playoffs, and then beat the Phillies in the World Series to win their second World Series in about eight years. Uh, key players, uh, Jose Altuve. Yes, the cheating scandal, won the MVP. Uh, uh, I guess it was Aaron Judge's rookie season. Yes. Uh, but he's a fantastic player. He really is. He's one of the better second basemen in in all of baseball uh, for his size and his power, the, the questions will come back to haunt him. Uh, the year that they cheated, but nevertheless, they came back and won in 2022, uh, and they, there was no cheating scandal in that that year. Alex Bregman, one of the more underrated third basemen in the in the MLB, very good defensive player, has a lot of power in his bat. In the second half of the season, played very very well. It was a big part of their run in the World Series last year. Carlos Correa, before he obviously uh, parted ways. Uh, with this astros team he was he 's one of the best playoff hitters in major league history. If you look at his numbers, I think he 's a career three thirty five average hitter in the in all of you know in his whole baseball career in the playoffs. Uh, George Springer, now center fielder for the uh, blue Jays, uh, was a big part of the cheating scandal, but also a big part of uh, what they did the first three years of their dominance in the American League. Justin Verlander, fantastic pitcher, one of the best power pitchers in baseball history, a Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, and has won a tremendous amount of Cy Young, so we all know how important he was. And Charlie Morton, who was one of the most underrated playoff pitchers of this era. He was fantastic. And you saw why the Braves made a move and brought him over there uh, the other year. Uh, What was it, last year? Yeah, 2021. Uh, He was Series. And he was a big part of the reason why they made that run. So, Charlie Morton, one of the best playoff pitchers of this era. Yeah, and also even for the Rays,
4: too. The year before in the COVID year, too, brought him in. So, Charlie Morton technically made three straight World Series. Lost two of them and then one of them, but he also won in 2017. Was huge in that Game 7 against the Yankees, as well, in that ALCS. And the Astros we always look at it as a pitching factory. They rebirth all these veteran pitchers. Charlie Morton was probably thought of as an average pitcher, back end of the rotation-type pitcher, but made him work to even some better regular season success than he's ever had, too. And same kind of thing with Zach Greinke, when everyone thought he was done too, he had a great uh, stretch there in 2019 with the Astros. Then he stumbled a little bit down the road after that, but still, it's a pitching factory, and they replace these players well. Carlos Correa leaves the Twins, or to the Twins, and Jeremy Peña wins World Series MVP. All
3: right, the next bracket, the number seed, number six seed of that bracket, the 2010 and. Up, San Francisco Giants, 2009 season they were 88 and 74 regular season record, missed the playoffs. In 2010 season they were 92 and 70 with for their regular season record. They were the second best in the National League, beat the Braves and the Phillies in the playoffs, and beat the Rangers in the World Series. If everybody remembers that. 2011 season they were 87 and 76 regular season record, missed the playoffs. Uh, they had a lot of injuries that year, especially with that pitching staff. 2012 season they were 94 and 68 with the regular season record, third best in the National. National League beat the Reds, Cardinals in the playoffs, and then beat the Tigers in the World Series. 2013 season, they were 76 and 86 regular season record, missed the playoffs. In 2014 season, 88 and 74 regular season record, fifth best in the National League, beat the Pirates and the Nationals and the Cardinals in the playoffs and beat the Royals in the World Series 2015 season. They were 84 and 78 with a record of uh, with that regular season record missed in the playoffs in the 2016 season, 87 and 75 regular season record, fifth best in the National League, beat the Mets in the wild card game and lost against the Cubs in the NLDS. Key players Tim Lincecum, everybody remembers the Cy Young. He was a dominant pitcher for like three years. He was as good as anybody. Matt Matthew Kane was as good as anybody. This pitching staff was one of the best rotations in in, in, in a ten year span and over really a decade. They were a fantastic. Madison Bumgarner, another Hall of Fame pitcher, could hit, could do everything. I, I mean, they were loaded when it came to their pitching staff. Three of the best pitchers in baseball. Uh, Buster Posey, one of the best catchers in baseball for, for over 15 years or 14 years. Just retired. Hunter Pence was one of the best clutch hitters in the playoffs. Was a big part after they made a move bringing him from Philadelphia and then Pablo Sandoval, if you remember, I think he was the Kung Fu Panda, if you remember him. Uh, He had a couple of good years. It was a big, big part, uh, especially in the playoffs at hitting. He was a very good hitter in the playoffs. Uh And then he went to the Boston Red Sox and absolutely (laughs) sucked. But, uh, yeah. That team was fantastic. They had three of the most dominant pitchers in a 10-year in span. And I think they won, like, I don't know, in a 10-year span, won like five or six Cy Youngs. I, I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, Lincecum was back-to-back. And yeah, he won two. Tom Garner
4: had one, too. Tom
3: Carter won one. I think didn't Matt Cain was a
4: finalist. I don't think he won, but he, like, he was right up there as a finalist, too. So. And he had a very good dominant stretch, too. Very underrated for a he long time. He was a time. great
3: playoff pitcher, too. Yeah. Yes, he was, and
4: like you were saying, Pablo Sandoval, like Correa, was like one of the best playoff players in that yes, time he was. for the longest time. And like his regular season numbers, like you wouldn't think of it as like the elite third baseman in the nope. league all the time, but in the postseason, he just turned it on.
3: Yeah, he was five for five, I think, in one game in the World Series. Yeah,
4: I think so against Detroit. And that, that, that Detroit team was loaded too. They mm-hmm. had to play against that 2012 team. Verlander was on that, and Ed Scherzer was on that, and Anibal Sanchez. That was a great rotation. And then you had Cabrera, you had Victor Martinez, all these all these hitters, and the Giants were able to take him down. And even that Cincinnati Reds team, they had to play in that first round, too. That was a very good team that they beat. They came back down to nothing, and they, and they beat them. This team has been beating a lot of really good teams in the World Series and in the postseason. A lot of the times, as wildcard teams, are the third team that wins the division.
3: Yes. Number 11 seed, 1980s and 90s Washington football team. In 1982... The lockout shortened season, they were eight and one. They beat the Lions and the Vikings and the Cowboys in the playoffs and beat the Dolphins in Super Bowl 17. 1983 season, they were 14 and 2 with their record. Number one seed in the NFC. Beat the Rams and the 49ers in the playoffs. Lost against the Raiders in Super Bowl 18. Nineteen eighty four season they were eleven and five. Number two seed in the NFC. Lost against the Bears in the divisional round. Nineteen eighty five season, they were ten and six with the ten and six record. Missed the playoffs. Could you imagine losing the, missing the playoffs with a 10 6? record. I mean, the Jets did. The um, did too. 1986 season, they were 12-4, third best in the NFC, beat the Rams, Bears in the playoffs, lost against the Giants in the NFC championship game. 1987 season, they were 11-4, third best in the NFC, beat the Bears and the Vikings in the playoffs, beat the Broncos in Super Bowl 22. 1988 season, they were 7-9 and nine record, missed the playoffs. 1989 season, they were 10-6 record. Again, they missed the playoffs. 1990 season, they were 10-6 sec- record, 4 Fourth best in the NFC, beat the Eagles in the wild card round, lost against the 49ers in the divisional round. 1991 season, they were 14 and two. Number one seed in the NFC, beat the Falcons and the Lions in the playoffs, and beat the Bills in Super Bowl 26. Uh, John Riggins, Daryl Green, the mean green killing machine. Uh, I mean, Todd Balls, one of the better safeties in the league for many, many years. Art Monk, Hall of Famer, and Gary Clark, another Hall of Fame player. I mean, this team had Hall of Famers all over it. This was a fantastic team, fantastically. Bill team and Joe Gibbs was a big part of why this team was so good in those times joe gibbs is the is the best coach that does not deserve enough that doesn't get enough
4: credit in nfl history when you look at a team that uh, had so many moving parts they won a super bowl with three different quarterbacks joe theismann obviously had that gruesome leg injury in 1984 after he won the super bowl in 1983 then he won it with doug williams then he won it with mark rippon and a lot of those guys did not play as well once they after they won those super bowls so he, he knew the right time to transition those teams and even somebody like Reagans later in his career you want to know who Super Bowl MVP was the, in 22? It was Timmy Smith, their other running back at 202 rushing yards. He knows how to make these players work. I think he was an innovator before his time on the offensive side of the ball. And definitely there's a lot of credit, like you were saying, the two Hall of Fame wide receivers. And that offensive line was really good, too. The mm-hmm. Hogs. Uh, John Jansen wanted to rename the Washington football team the Hogs after that great offensive line that they had, too. And that defense. Daryl Green is one of the best corners of all time. One of the, like, transitioned the game for smaller corners, too. You got Dexter Manley. Uh, you got uh, Dave Butts, who was very good as Well, a lot of good defensive players. And the 92 Washington football team, I think, was the only team that was first in scoring offense and scoring defense and I think top 10 in yards offense and yards defense in the same year. And it was a very impressive team, 14-2, like you were saying.
3: Mm -hmm. All right, Speedy. Let's do it. Let's vote here. Who do you have uh, for this bracket? The number seven seed uh, Steelers and number ten seed Astros. So even amidst the, even without the
4: cheating, I'm still going to pick the Steelers anyway. Like I don't think the Astros cheating scandal matters as much. I still think the Steelers are just a better, well-oiled machine. I think it was a more talented team overall, consistently. Like the Astros had a, still a couple down regular seasons. The Steelers had a few, but it wasn't. They always played in a tough AFC North. We say it all the time. The AL West usually only has one good team at once, whereas the AFC North has always been very good. And I don't. Then they lost against the Patriots. It's in the AFC Championship game, it's tough to hold that kind of thing against them. They're just a very well-oiled machine. I think they did it for longer, so I'm going to go with the Steelers. I
3: think the cheating scandal stands high from from both teams. It really does. And and the Astros were a very good team, and they only cheated for that playoff that playoff season. I think they were still a very very good team, and they won a, they won a championship in 2022 without cheating. But I think the Steelers were a very, like you said, very well-oiled machine. Very good teams. They had some of the greatest players at their positions, especially Troy Polamalu. You can argue he's one of the greatest safeties of all time. Ben Roethlisberger is a Hall of Fame. Jerome Bettis, he's a Hall of Famer. The Bus, Heinz Ward is a borderline Hall of Famer. James Harrison was a beast of a man. Was a big part of those defenses. I mean, this de- when you look at these these Pittsburgh defenses, especially when you look at the Pittsburgh defenses of the 70s and the 80s, how dominant it was? You look at these 2,000 Pittsburgh defenses, they were just as good. So um, I like the Pittsburgh Steelers in this bracket. I I think they're the better team. I'm not taking anything away from those Astros teams, especially the dominance of the seven, eight years they were dominant. But, again, that cheating scandal really affected them. So I have the Steelers moving on as well as you do. So without the cheating scandal, you would have picked the Astros, you think? No, I would have taken the Steelers, too. But it it definitely hurts. It it would have been a lot closer. Okay, just curious.
4: All right, so number six seed, the Giants. Number 11, the Washington football team. I'm going to go with the upset here. I'm going to take Washington in this one. I just think the talent level consistently throughout that time was just a lot better with with Washington. I think at all positions, really, they really didn't have a lot of big weaknesses. They always had good linebacker play, like we were saying, with the defensive line. And Joe Gibbs, I just think, was so innovative the way he had his offense. With three different quarterbacks, it's really hard to do, especially at that time when there wasn't a a great amount of quarterback talent throughout the NFL. And he really had that scheme work. I think it's really transcendent. The Giants had a lot of scratch. Scrappier offensive players. You're, you're talking about Posey and Sandoval. They hit some key guys with Crawford Belt. Like, they had a couple key guys, but like they were a scrappier offensive team. I don't think they were as talented as a whole, even though they beat, took down a lot of good teams. I think the run into the dominance, plus the NFC East was really good at that time with the Cowboys and the Giants and the Eagles, too. That was the best stretch of it. So I'm going to take the eleven seed, Washington football team. I'm
3: going with San Francisco, and I'll tell you why. Bochi was so really one of the better managers in the league really changed this team and this organization for the better. And then the pitching staff, Tim Lincolnson, Matt Cain, Matt Madison Bumgarner, Buster Posey, all guys that will Tim Lincolnson probably won't be in the Hall of Fame and either will Matt Cain, right. but Madison Bumgarner will, Busty, Buster Posey will. I mean, there were a lot of good teams and, and this team was a very well oiled machine. They've always had a good pitching staff and always moved forward. And I, I really like the San Francisco team the way they were built. And every single year different offense and then the same pitching staff every single year, and even in the middle of the at the end of this run. They, they still had the heart of that pitching staff. So I am going to go with the San Francisco Giants, the talent that they had. They, they might have not have been as talented as the Washington football team was at that time with all these Hall of Famers. But what San Francisco did and winning three World Series in such a short time, I think it's a lot harder than winning the three Super Bowls that the Washington football team won at their time. So I am going to go with San Francisco. Alrighty, so one disagreement, one agreement
4: for this one. So the Steelers will move on, and the polls will decide the Giants or the Washington uh, Washington football team, Washington Commanders, whatever you want to call it. So the Steelers will move on. Their next opponent will be another football team. You know
3: what's so interesting about the San Francisco team? They didn't. They had a very good pitching staff, one of the best pitching staffs of that era, but. That lineup was not dominant. It wasn't a good lineup, okay? Right. And the way they did it and how they dominated three years at 3 time, times—they won three World Series in six years—I think is more impressive— than uh, somebody like the Washington football team with all the talent that they had, all those Hall of Famers that they had, and winning three Super Bowls in, in, in a 10-year span. So I think it was more impressive with the least amount of talent. And Bruce Bochy, you keep talking about Joe Gibbs, Bruce Bochy is a Hall of Fame manager. Absolutely, after winning three World Series in in such a short span. I think that's more impressive watching San Francisco and watching the San Francisco Giants winning three World Series, and it's so hard to do, Then watching the Washington football team winning three. Super Bowls in that time. So, so that's the, just my opinion. So the Steelers will move on, they will take on the number 2 seed, the 49ers of the
4: late 80s will be their next matchup and we'll, again, we'll wait. we'll wait to see on the other matchup. Uh, the Twitter and Facebook polls will decide that. The winner of the 611 you know so
3: Funny. You know what's so funny? Je- Jeff wants to bet a $1000 on the Islanders and the and the Boston Bruins. Why would I bet the Islanders against the Boston Bruins with the talent? I I'm not, I, I I that doesn't mean I don't think the Islanders could win, but the chances of the Islanders winning why would I bet something when you know that the 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 advantage goes to the Boston Bruins? I, I would be stupid to make that bet. Yeah. Okay, so I, I'm not as dumb as you, Jeff. All right, and you can you can think that I'm going to make a bet or I'm not. I don't believe in my team. I could believe in my team and not make a bet. That's stupid. So good luck on that. It's not going to happen.
4: So whoever wins the six eleven matchup will take on. the— And by
3: the way, they're not even. They, there's no sure thing that they're playing the Bruins. Right. You know, you'll give me three-to-one odds. Good for you. Still not making the bet, Jeff. So so the
4: winner of the 6-11 matchup between the Giants and the Washington football team will take on the Lakers of the early 2000s.
3: Thank you to uh, FDU, Dickinson, uh, men's basketball forward Sean Moore, and guard Braden Reynolds for joining us. They were fantastic. Uh, Really, really good personalities. And then thank you to NHL.com editor and host of NHL Draft Class podcast Adam Kimmelman he was fantastic as well oh, yeah. really, really good guests tonight. very good guest all week all week. Uh, thank you. Uh, to Tobin uh, Anderson for joining us and all the different guests that we've had over the last couple weeks. Good, good yet Speedy. Uh, We will be back next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Back to our normal times. Uh, Who do we have on next week? So confirmed at 8.30
4: will be Cade Warner, who is the son of Kurt Warner, and he will be entering this year's NFL draft. Uh, Likely will be a day three pick. He plays wide receiver for Kansas State, and he will be joining us at 8.30. Hopefully we'll see if he responds. He said he might be interested in doing it on the 19th. He has to see on his availability. We we also have uh, a Dallas Cowboys a special teamer Trent Sieg will also potentially be joining us. He said April 19th is a possibility. We'll, but we'll have to see on the details on that.
3: All right, guys. So as, as we move forward going into next week, we'll give you all the different guests that we might have on the show. We are reaching out to Baker Mayfield. We could have Baker Mayfield mm-hmm. on in the next couple of weeks as well. We're looking forward to it. Wait, no show tomorrow. No, there's no show tomorrow because I am going to Florida for the next couple of days. If you actually listen to the show, you would know that, John. Gosh. I did the show yesterday, on Tuesday, doing my Thursday show on Tuesday, yesterday, as I sent it to you. Um <laughs> I don't know where you've been. Um but uh yes, Wednesday and Thursday next week we will be back. Listen to the weekend crunch, which will air. Uh if the if the Islanders Do they play Saturday? Will they play Saturday?
4: We don't know the postseason schedule yet. Yeah, so we'll
3: see. I don't know if uh, we will be aired at 10.30 or 7. We will let you guys know. But we will be on on Saturday as well, even though I am in Florida. Uh, Shout out to all the fans. Keep listening to us as always. We thank Everybody for tuning into our our show and all the shows, uh, Game On and uh, The Wise Guys and all the different shows um, that we have on our network. We really appreciate everybody for listening to the show throughout the week. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Who's calling the show? Jeff. What does he want? I don't know. Put him on. Jeff, call back. Put him on. What does he want? I'm not making a bet. For a thousand dollars on Boston and the Islanders, I'd be stupid. All right, Jeff, what do you got? What? All year. What?
4: Oh, all year,
2: all year you talk about the Islanders. Yeah. All year you talk about. Really, the- I've been talking, talking about, about talk the Islanders.
3: About- I've been talking about the Islanders. Really?
2: stop. Yeah, okay, Jeff. Nonstop. Okay, Jeff. Now I'm issuing the challenge. Thousand dollars. I'll give you. Yeah. Good, you luck get good luck on it. Good luck on three thousand dollars. Good luck on it. You win, you'll get three thousand.
3: Good luck on it. I'm not betting that. Not betting on it. Oh, why would bet? I bet? Why would I bet the Islanders? The Islanders squeaking into the playoffs, and your Boston Bruins have the best record in no, hockey. No, 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 yeah, no, no, I no, want, no, no, no. Yeah, i no, stupid. No, I
2: want you to apply Jets logic to this. The Islanders are the last. Team there it goes in the with the Jets again. Spot. They're elite. They're elite when you're in
1: the last. You know what? Spot. You know what? Spot.
3: I hope. I hope the Islanders beat the Boston Bruins. I really hope. Because it would shut you up. And the last time they met in the playoffs, Please, what happened? Speedy, what happened? Was
2: that his logic with the Jets? Was that his logic with the Jets? Goodbye, speedy, Jeff. Last you, last know, last you, know play, Jeff? you know what,
3: Jeff? You know what, Jeff? I wouldn't be stupid enough to make a bet like that. I'm not as dumb as you to make a bet that I have to eat dog poop after making a bet about you know speedy. Aaron Rodgers and, De- and Derek Carr.
2: Speedy, was that the logic? When the Jets were in the last playoff spot, were they elite? Their defense was elite. No, that's he walked that back because originally the argument was they were.
3: Elite. Oh God. We've been down this road. Yeah, we've been and when down they were this in the road. Last playoff, you
2: know, hey, listen, this is what it I was when they were in the last. I spot,
3: really, so this the, really, this is the really Islanders
2: now in that spot. They're elite.
3: I really, really hope the Islanders beat the Boston Bruins because you will find any way to make an excuse like you did the last time. I really no, hope
2: no excuses. They played bad. I came out. I even called you when they were playing and said yeah. they played bad. Yeah. Isn't that true, Steve? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that true? Well, guess what? They might not even play. be playing Boston in the first round. It looks like, I'm, as of right now, it's Carolina. No, they,
2: Carolina will throw the last game because – and Florida has a lot to play for because no one wants to play the Bruins. So Florida's going to play hard, and Carolina will probably be resting a couple of guys.
3: If they rest well, they a couple of guys, they lose Rangers. first place, and then they have to play the Rangers. I don't think that would be smart. That would be a very stupid move. How's that? So what? what,
2: uh, uh, No offense to the Rangers this season, just off of the season, you'd rather play the Rangers than the Bruins, wouldn't you?
4: The Hurricanes wouldn't have to play the Bruins, though. They they would play the Rangers or they could play the Islanders, too. Mm -hmm. Right. And you'd rather right. And you'd rather play the Islanders. right? Yeah, of course they would. So why would they not want to win the division? I'm not saying Florida no, no, no. couldn't win the game, but I'm just saying Carolina, I don't know if we be resting guys unless the Devils are Carolina's
3: playing all their guys, and, yeah. and they're going to go out there and try to beat, yes, try to beat the Florida Panthers.
4: Because remember, Jeff, the Devils and the Hurricanes play at the same time, so they can't really strategize that. Okay, if the Devils lose, let's start resting guys. Like, they can't plan for that. Uh, Florida's going to play
2: hard. Is Spencer Knight going to be in goal?
3: I don't know, Jeff. Yes, I think he is. But I think e- he is.
4: Either way, like, Carolina's still going to play hard, too, because of the devil's factor.
2: And that's all they need. Great Boston College prospect, Spencer Knight saves the Bruins we get the Islanders.
3: I don't care who you get. I just hope the Bruins lose in the first round. It'd be really, really funny. It would be really, really funny.
2: It could happen. It could happen. All it takes is a hot goalie. And the Islanders have a goalie that could get hot and do it.
3: Well, I hope it happens so I can. I don't have to hear you brag about it. But. but I
2: would. I would. I would like to. Let's have a wager. What would you like to wager? I'm not betting
3: a thousand dollars.
2: Okay, not a thousand dollars. What would
3: you? We'll like figure to wager? it out. Okay, I'm not thinking about but it. Why right don't now.
2: we figure it out right
3: now? No, I'm not doing that. Thank you, Jeff. We'll talk later. Jeff from Tampa, as always, fantastic and just a pain in my royal ass. Thank you very much to just piss me off even more before we come off air. But thank you. Thank you to all the fans. Thank you to our guests. Continue listening to us. We'll be back next week. Good night.
0: It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
7: Network. 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 Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement.
1: There's a pair of overalls that overall you're in.